Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. His first significant racing stints in a BMW. Came coming from a, a Porsche background where he raced for many years in the Carrera Cup GP, for instance, but then uh, started to head a little further afield and found a home within Aston Martin teams. So got well used to that uh, front-engined Aston and uh, stays with the engine location with the new BMW M4. And uh, clearly, although, you know, yeah, the water bottle failing is never ideal, but otherwise, he said, well, I, can, I think I can comfortably continue on for a fourth stint. And uh, well over the three-hour mark, in the end, about three and a half hours at the wheel of that car in the most bruising part of the day as well, with the sun out and the humidity up to 40%. Yeah, and just... Uh just notice though that um, his fastest lap has already been improved upon by Valentino Rossi so he very quickly got out down on the pace of course Valentino was racing M4, M4 GT3s last year so he's got a season under his belt but Ahmed Al-Hati does not but anyhow that really sets them up very well indeed because now at least they know they've got Valentino in the car and then lurking in the background in the Team WRT garage a certain person called Maxime Martin quite a handy fellow to have he'll be kept back as a uh, long as he can but Ahmad can actually sit back relax and just not think about the race other than almost as a fan from now on he's got uh, plenty of time uh, left to watch this race should be going to 10 hours or 335 laps and really at the moment Johnny it's pretty much touch and go which of those will be the first point to arrive but uh, what's happening at the front of the race well it's uh, Porsche leading overall and Porsche leading in GT3 as well in GT3 the driver on board at the moment is uh, Alexander Malikin he's the bronze driver he did the first stint then it went to a young German racer Joel Stern they've still got Klaus Backler the Austrian ace being kept back for the end of the race that's in LM GT3 it's Kevin Estra leading the way he was the second driver into the number six uh, Porsche that's leading the race by well it's gone out about 10 minutes 20 minutes ago it was a uh, just around 30 seconds it's now 38 and a half seconds the advantage over Mikkel Jensen and that thing we have to just uh, point out another time and reiterate both in the same breath under investigation the number three Peugeot for unsafe relief so suddenly it could be a Porsche 1-2 and if that's the case if a, any punishment is uh, going to be issued and served that means Hertz team Jota with their number 12 963 Will Stevens the start driver back on board We'll be moving up to second place, but it's ifs and buts. Maybe it's maybe. We'll find out. 123 laps soon to be completed. We've had three hours and nearly 38 minutes of this year's Qatar 1,812-kilometre race. It's Bruce Jones, Johnny Palmer and John Hindoff in the Global Broadcast Centre. John. I like the way you said 1,812 and not 1812. I, I, I'm, I'm taking that on. I kind of flip-flop I'm between the two. I mean, I 1812, I like, I like. It's good. You, you mentioned about the overture during the prologue <laughs> shows, I noticed. We so, missed uh, a trick there, didn't we? We, we did. All did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Um, I'm in the penalty box at the moment. Well, I'm not, but a few people are. Let me do the drive-throughs first. This is uh, all track limits. Um, both the TF Corvettes, 81 and 82, will have to come down. They've been assessed to drive through. The United Autosports McLaren number 95 has got a drive through for uh, persistent track limits. A warning flag for 
Brendan Hartley, so that's his three freebies done. The big one that you mentioned just before uh, the Hertz hourly update, JP, was the 200 seconds for the number 11, Isotta Flaschini. Uh, and thanks to Fulvio, uh, who's sitting ahead of me, the uh, IF press officer, he's uh, blasted out and got the details. A technical infringement, it tends to mean something normally to do with tyres or with power. This was the latter. As you know, all of the LMH cars have a torque sensor on the rear drive shaft. And that car showed overpower when it hit a kerb and spun up. It was for more than the allowed um, amount of time. That shows up instantaneously through the series logging loom, and that is seen. They don't even have to pull the data card. That is actually monitored in real time. So they will have to come in and sit for 200 seconds. In fact, they've already... Thank you, Fulvio. Um, they've already done that. It's, it's brilliant sitting here with all the PRs around you. because it's, You just get it all. You've only got to look at people to see if they're happy or sad as well. They know if something's coming. So that's that's the little update at the moment. And Giorgio Roda is under investigation for the second time for track limits. And he's already that number 88 car. The Proton competition car has uh, already had one um, has already had one oh are you back um, has already had one uh, stop and hold penalty or stop penalty excuse me drive through penalty are you still there guys I'm getting strange noises in my ears we're still here in the place that we th think we are certainly but yeah good, uh, yeah, good. Uh, 125 laps then done and uh after that three minutes and 20 second penalty for Isotta Fraschini, hopefully they can now push on a little more uh, and get the rhythm back again. Because um, you know, if they can get to the end of this 10 hours, then that would be uh, a significant oh, uh, achievement, wouldn't it? And um, an awful lot more running, meaningful running too, because there's another 36 cars out there that um, are evolving the track. As I've mentioned, rubber going down. Uh, but also uh, being able to deal with the traffic at speed, plus the fact that because their driver lineup that we touched on yesterday, this is an early part uh, of the campaign for the Tipo 6C. So they decided to go with two silvers and the platinum in Jean-Carl Vianney, so joined by Carl Wattener Bennett of Thailand and Antonio Serraval of Canada. And, uh, yeah, more and more mileage going under the wheels of the Isotta Fraschini. It's just fabulous to have that mark back again uh, in meaningful motorsport for the first time in something like 90-odd years. I like the way you look at me when you start talking about the early days. Well, I did, <laughs> yes. It's just, just habit, force uh, of habit, Bruce. As Nick Damon would say, how very dare you? I have no idea what that means, but... <laughs> <laughs> What he, I can tell you with assuredness is the fact just under 40 seconds is the gap between first and second. So this stint's been very, very strong between Kevin Esther in the number six Porsche Penske Motorsport entry and Mikkel Jensen, who just hasn't been able to match his pace. He's just falling away a little bit, little bit with the Peugeot. I think it may also, that could be one that as it's cooling down, the Porsche is going better and better. I think it's giving it more tyre life. But certainly you look across the board early in this race, we had um, four of the top six cars with the four, four of the five Porsche 963. So uh, clearly pretty good in warm temperatures. 
Good times again from Nick de Vries, who's up to fourth position now, but that's uh, partly due to the fact that cars are pitting ahead of him, and the Toyota that he drives will be due in within the next four laps, I reckon. But Kevin Estra should be pitting at roughly the same sort of area too. We haven't yet seen Will Stevens come into pit road. He's within the next... He'll be due in within the next two laps, I reckon. So it's going to get very, very busy for that top five. Pitting either on the next lap or within the next three, I'd say, for the number six Porsche that leads, the number 93 Peugeot that is in second, the number 12 Hertz Porsche, Hertz Team Jota Porsche that is in third position and that Toyota number seven in fourth position. Tom Van Rompuy has just come out of the pit, so that was a driver change. Uh, no, it wasn't a driver change, big pardon. Tom staying at the wheel of his car. I wonder where the 81 crew are in terms of their drive time. Unfortunately, the race has fallen away from them because of the big gearbox issues that they've suffered, or gear shift, as Tom Ferrier put it. It was a spin for Rui Andrade at turn number one, and then he limped into pit road, having to stop just short. Or it, it, The car came to a halt just before the pit, the pit speed limiter area of pit lane. So in terms of driver stints for car number 81... We had two from Tom Van Rompuy that took a big chunk out of the two hours and 55 minutes he needed to do, but he's still only done an hour and 42 in total. We had three from Rui Andrade, but one of them was only four minutes worth, and that was like the tester, I think, after they tried to fix those gear shift problems. They threw Rui Andrade out for a couple of laps, and now Tom has taken charge again to do the best part of 50 minutes. That means Charlie Eastwood still yet to get his uh, race running in here, but uh, that was always going to be the plan as the sort of uh, highest-ranked driver in that car. So he'll be waiting. I don't know how soon he'll start, but with his gold rank, you tend to be the last one in, the highest-ranked driver in any of these cars. Get the bronze drivers to get as much of their running in, not just at the start of the race, but when it's light. That's certainly a factor. And, of course, Ahmad Al-Hart, he won't have to worry about nightfall. He'll just have to worry about getting more and more fluid back into himself. I know he did point out that he got fluid during pit stops uh, they could give him a drinks bottle but going around to do a stint of three and a half hours with no liquid on board that must have been hideous when you, that first moment you realise your bottle ain't working not funny meanwhile the number 12 car does come in first of this clutch out front so this is perfectly on schedule for the number 12 uh, Hertz Team Jota car of Will Stevens and away it goes with uh, the hybrid power getting it back up to speed. Norman Natto's back into the number 12 car, in fact. So it feels like they've been switching virtually every stint as far as a driver is concerned. Yes, Will did uh, 52 minutes very nearly to start the race. There was then a 32-lap stint for Norman Natto. Callum Eilert's done 32 laps. Will Stevens about the same as his second stint and stint number four in total. So we're now back to Frenchman Norman Natto for the fifth stint in car number 12, the Porsche. So back out that will go. Next in is likely, I think, to be the Toyota. Let's just double-check on... Um, well, Toyota and quite possibly the other Hertz Team Jota car but probably the Peugeot will come in next in second position car number 93 and this is the one that still has that question mark above its roof as to 
whether the unsafe release is going to be taken any further. They can be slightly greyer issues compared to, say, a pit speed limit violation. So they'll be comparing that from various different angles and perhaps from onboard footage from the car that uh, it allegedly charged in front of. But that's uh, not normally down to the driver, it's down to whoever's operating the lollipop to govern the pit stop. And if the lollipop raises, your job as a driver is to go, 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 no questions asked. Yeah, keep things simple. Peugeot diving in the pits right now, but absolutely right, Johnny, the driver has just got to do what he needs to do. But uh, penalties go right across a team. So just uh, the 93 Peugeot into the pits. This is still with that potential penalty hanging over. It's coming in four. Well, it, it was just almost exactly 40 seconds down on the race leading. Uh, Kevin Estra driven number six. Uh, driver change happening at Peugeot. Out gets Mikkel Jensen of the 93. Just waiting to see who's going to get on board. This was a car that was kicked off by uh, Nico Muller, who went from sixth to third to second and led the race in that fabulous battle with the number 50 Ferrari. And uh, the third driver in that rotation is uh, Jean-Éric Verne. And I think that's Jeff who's got on board. Don't quite recognise the helmet. It's, it's one that's clearly tied in with the uh, Peugeot team, with the black and the gold, uh, the silver and the, the white stripes. But, uh, yep, Jeff is the driver on board. He's taken over from Mikkel Jensen. Fresh set of shiny Michelin rubber going on board. I think we'll take a little look. The best lap that car has managed thus far is 1 minute 41.470 what do we give Jeff? Three laps to see if he can top that? Yeah I mean he is uh, always has been a big big talent, not surprising to me that Jeff was put in as the qualifying driver into the 93 yesterday in both of the sessions in fact session one he finished fourth fastest behind Matt Campbell, Nick De Vries and Callum Eilert and then on into the Hyperpole session, which included only the top 10 fastest cars from the initial quali. And uh, Jean-Éric Verne was sixth fastest in the end, behind uh, three Porsches, the 5, the 12 and the 6, behind the Toyota of Nick de Vries that occupied the front row, and Antonio Fuoco's number 50 Ferrari. But Jean-Éric Verne... Uh, one of two Peugeots, actually, that made it in to the top ten. So already we thought, well, could this be a, a, a very decent weekend for the 9x8? As it turned out, the 94 car didn't start the race well, nerfed into a spin. Paul de Resta was at the start uh, into turn one, when it got very, very busy in that mid-pack. But slowly and surely, the 94 car is finding its feet. Loic Duval running in 12th at this point in time. The 93 car rejoining still in second position as Toyota send the number seven car back out again. Nick de Vries brought that in, but they've now switched drivers and Kamui Bayashi with his first stint in this Qatar 1812 race. Yeah, well, it's the moment that Kamui can put his management um, concerns behind him and just do what he does uh, supremely well. I'm, I'm sure he's supremely well at managing as well, but um, go and do the races racing. Number six, the race leader coming in, Kevin Estra, brings that to a standstill. Very close to the pit, pit entry end of the pit lane. Porsche Penske Motorsport. Nice clean run into the pit garage. Oh, not into the pit garage. Into the, into the apron in front. And um, driver change. Kevin Estra climbing back. And Andre Lotterer now getting in. Of course, he was the third driver in the cycle. 
Lawrence Van Toor had that really strong first stint. Kevin Estra has built on that. And now Andre Lotterer, a white and black helmet there that he's had for many, many years. So for Porsche Penske Motorsport, looks as though 2024 is going to have more shades of success than 2023. And uh, again, someone was just commenting earlier, anybody just landing in the hypercar class, the World Endurance Championship last year would have got one impression. This year, 19 starters. It's just been a phenomenal upswing. And it's so, so hard it's going to be for any of them to score points this year. Clearly points only for the top 10 positions. So there'll be some really valiant runners who come away with nothing. And nothing is not something you want to be adding to your tally through the course this season. So uh, it really is tricky. Here and now we've got the pits. We've got the sort of um, a slight confusion. A few of the runners still haven't come in for their fourth stop. And namely the Cadillac Racing number two entry, Sebastian Bordet, must owe us a pit stop soon. This was the car, Johnny, that had the damaged front left corner. Remember, had contact at the start of the race. Yeah. But it really seemed to peel away later. They'll fall back down the order. And we'll go back to basically having Porsche from Peugeot, Privateer Porsches, that's from Hertz Team Jota. And the best of the rest, gradually getting there, has been Alpine. They've been nowhere good in terms of qualifying, but they've really just been picking away and this is not last year's car you mentioned it early last year they were using a car from another age and now they've moved into the modern world so effectively they're like a season behind some of their rivals and running a car properly in the hypercar class the glorious sound though of the naturally aspirated v8 that sits in the cadillac and uh, it only just fits into the chassis as well, almost like spilling out of the sides. But um, it's a fabulous car to, to close your eyes and to witness the side of the track, to guess when it's next going to come round. But you get plenty of warning of it as that Cadillac thunders through. Same can be said, of course, for the Corvettes in GT3 and the Ford Mustang as well, which sounds fantastic too. You mentioned American metal earlier on. Well, there's actually three different types of American metal to feast our eyes and ears on this year. I'm busy waiting for DeSoto and Pontiac to come and play in, <laughs> in future seasons. You know, when I was a child, there were so many brands of American cars, lots under similar banners. I mean, like, like Ford had, obviously, alongside Ford, they had Lincoln and Mercury, and uh, General Motors had so many, but I, DeSoto always just stood out for me, just because it was different and because it soon became extinct. The race leader came in, Kevin Estra got out and is now chatting in the pit lane. Kevin, super strong run again. You're showing great form. How was it? It was tough to manage the traffic. Thank you. Yeah, no, the, the car is good, but just we, we came out in traffic with the lapped car, lapped uh, hypercar, which is a bit strange to say, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, and to be honest, they, everybody took, or most of them took way too long to let me buy and, and, and you just spend three, four, five laps behind the, a lapped car and, and you use the front tire and it's very difficult to pass here. So I was a bit frustrated, I have to say. There was sometimes some blue flag, not respected, sometimes no blue flag. I think there we, we can all do a better job. Um, but overall, no, the car felt pretty good. Uh, no mistake, just a slight touch with the GT in traffic. It's uh, sometimes a bit tough out there uh, in the traffic. You can feel that uh, that everybody get have to get used to each other. But uh, no, the car felt felt good, no issue. Uh, I think everybody everybody is doing a good job. Everything is running smooth so far. So now Andre is in the car, and, uh, and let's see if that uh, that we can continue that way. Okay. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin Estra chatting to Bruce Joani, uh, second voice in pit lane for this event, uh, joining Louise Beckett and as uh, mentioned by Kev there, Andre Lotra, his teammate, taking charge of the number six car and uh, it returning to the racetrack on lap 132. 
looking for a, a proper gap now between that first Porsche and the Peugeot of Jean-Éric Verne. It's hovering around the 35-second marker, 36.4, in fact, through the last split. So that's about the length of the first sector between the leading car and second place. When you get uh, one driver who is one nationality and his own compatriot, uh, compatriot interviewing him in, in, this, in a different language. There was a French driver, Kevin Estra, with a French former racer, now man in the pit lane, Bruce Joanny. He did it perfectly, but again, it just goes to prove, I mean, English, for better or for worse reason, is the international language, and uh, any young racing driver does need to get on top of it. It's not their home language. Yeah, he was making the point from... It was from that car, I'm pretty sure, that Lawrence Vantor mentioned, along with Andre Lotra, that all three of them, Kevin Estra as well, can communicate in actually three different languages. They can do German, they can do French, or they can do English, and they kind of quite like mixing it up and uh, second-guessing, I suppose, as to how they're next going to hold the conversation. Maybe they do a question in one language and the answer in another. I mean, the possibilities are endless. It's very busy indeed into turn 15, though, as the 83 Ferrari 499P got up the inside of the, the bend Porsche number 91 from GT3, but then on their outside was the number 7 uh, Toyota of Kimi Kobayashi, who's clearly wanting to waste no time at all. He's in a fight with Robert Schwarzman, after all, and Schwarzman lost out there because Kobayashi swooped around the outside, or is it, in fact, Schwarzman trying to get in front? We'll wait and see, but um, the 91 Porsche doing absolutely nothing wrong there, sticking to the racing line. Yasser Shaheen getting it from all angles, though. Yeah, it's, it's a classic case. If you go off the racing line here, there are certain points on the circuit, you pick them out quite early in the race, Johnny, where there is a lot of gravel waiting for you if you go just beyond the racing line. That wasn't one of them, but two corners later when uh, we had Robert Schwartzman trying to pick up pace again and he suddenly was presented with a sea of gravel in front of him, so certainly lost momentum having to change his angle and uh, tuck back in behind. Fabulous images uh, to be enjoyed here, but notably it's been competition from the outset of this race. What have we got left? Just over six hours remaining in this race. It's nip and tuck, and right now Robert Schwartzman has got his nose in front. Yeah, this is the battle for not very high up the order, but it is for points. They're fighting over seventh place, and the Ferrari has moved up now into sixth. AF Corsa into sixth, Toyota Gazoo Racing, Kobayashi back down to seven on the door and seventh in the position chart. Great driving then from Schwartzman, who eventually wriggles his way by. He had two wheels off, though, on the red concrete down the main straight, just about keeping the 83 Ferrari still on the racetrack, but kicked up a load of dust. And again, they have to go either side of an LM GT3 car. It's the black and orange McLaren this time, number uh, 95. So Schwartzman given very little space at all for, from Kamui Kobayashi. I think the Toyota driver will get away with that just about, but Schwarzman edged very close to the wall. There was that slither of asphalt, though, still available to the number 83 car, but uh, that is not something that you'd like to see at such great speed. Certainly not. I mean, he, uh, <laughs> Robert got to read the, the race sponsor very frequently there. Let's get a word with Brendan Hartley in the pit lane. Brendan Hartley has stepped out of the number eight Toyota. Uh, are you guys playing the long game? No. At the moment, now we're really we're off the pace at the moment. Um, I didn't have a great stint. I, I damaged the tyre in qualifying yesterday. I was really nervous to do the same again today. It looks like it, it, it hung on, but the pace wasn't particularly great. So we've, well, we're we're currently where we started, unfortunately. 
Um, I think we're going to have to rely on the others having a few mistakes or something. We, we definitely don't have the pace to challenge the front guys today. Uh, how does that make the team feel? What's the morale like and what do you do with this new era of hypercar going into 2024? I mean, we're still fighting. We're trying to maximise all the potential we have, but um, today we don't we don't have the pace. Uh, the other guys are much quicker, so yeah, we're going to have to analyse a bit after. But okay, there's still a long way to go. I don't want to be too negative, but right now we, I mean, we're a lap down already, and I think the sister car is pretty close to being a lap down as well. So it's not looking good at the moment. Great, thanks, Brendan. So a brave phase from the Kiwi, but uh, they are used to getting much better results than this. They wanted the competition, I will say, and it has arrived and then some. I mean, the cavalry is here now, and I suppose it's down to Toyota and the big wigs who make the big decisions to, to react to this, Bruce. I think so. Uh, well, no, not I think so. Definitely the case. I was just thinking, what can they do? Maybe they find their car just doesn't have the, the setup that it requires for a hot a stretch of hot tarmac, hot air conditions as well here. Hopefully, you know, conditions will be uh, very different at Imola, nice spring weather we'll get. But uh, yeah, they've, they've got a fight on their hands and actually also connected with the Toyota brand is Lexus. And we just had a moment of one of the, one of the two RCFs in the GT3 class getting into a, a real sort of wheel wobble and uh, eventually spearing off to the left, going through a gravel trap and rejoining. So give you a choice of Jose Maria Lopez in number 87, the sister car team of Bogoslavski, two places further up in 30th overall I guess we could look at the lap time and work which work out which of those uh, had the moment off the circuit I think it could have been Jose Maria Lopez we will find out Race Jones in the Global Broadcast Centre and it's back with me John Heindorf for a wee while here in the Media Centre on the inside of the circuit here at Lasalle International great to have your company a little bit of an overcast at the moment air temperature is a pleasant 21.4 celsius track temperature still hovering around that 36 36 and a half degrees it hasn't really started to drop even though we haven't had direct sunshine on the track for a wee while uh, we've got about another couple of hours before the stun sun starts to well i was gonna say sink it doesn't it plummets here um so the last certainly the probably the last three and a half hours of the race are going to be in very different conditions and the question for me is who can stay on the lead lap if they've got a car that's good in the cooler conditions uh, in both of our classes here uh, just coming uh, down to what is it midday in the UK on a Saturday hello if you're just joining us as Rob Jayner is uh, tuned in hello Rob thanks for spending a bit of Saturday afternoon as it is now with you just after three o'clock here in Qatar and we're going to keep an eye on what's going on uh, on the circuit but the good news is uh, we have some guests queued up for this next segment uh, as well uh, and I am now delighted to welcome if I remember to fear them up Kevin Groot who is the sports car programs manager for Ford Performance I had someone write that down for me Kevin I'm not going to pretend I knew that off the top of my head <laughs> uh, welcome to the WEC well, I'm happy to be here nice to, nice to meet you John talk about a baptism of fire with what you guys have done with this Mustang GT3 out at Daytona a few weeks ago and now into the world championship where is where have the big challenges been uh, certainly logistically, um, but, you know, starting this aggressive, uh, as our colleagues at GM would also say, that this is very difficult to do, <laughs> to start in Daytona and then just a few weeks later be here. 
Um, we're certainly on our back foot. Uh, we'll continue this in a moment. We're going to go down to the Cadillac pits. Earl Bamba's in that car at the moment. Louise talking to one of his teammates. Sebastian Bourdais, in fact. Sebastian Bourdais, you're putting in a hard drive, it would seem, in that stint. Yeah, I mean, we're pushing really hard. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the start really killed us. And Alex didn't do anything wrong. He got hit by 38 and uh, sent us into the Peugeot. And uh, we ended up having to change at the pit stop, both the front and the rear, because the car was seriously damaged. So it kind of ruined our race, because now you're losing, you know, about 40 seconds on the sequence on the first one. And then after that, another 30 seconds changing the tail and the nose. So, you know, on races like this, which are pretty straightforward, no safety car, no nothing to regroup everybody. Um, you know, we've, we got stuck behind slower cars after that, which made it lose even more time. And you push really hard to, into the tires to try and make passes. So, yeah, it's setbacks after setbacks, but we're pushing through and trying to get the best result we can. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Louise Beckett down in the pit lane. Kevin Crook from Ford is with me at RSL underscore studio, by the way. Uh, if you're in Europe or maybe joining us in the States, if there's any questions, get them in as quick as you can, and I'll try and keep an eye on them as they, they come in. You mentioned your close competitors down through the years. The Bowtie and the Blue Oval, my goodness, we've seen some tremendous uh, battles down through the years. Does that just add another dimension, Kevin? Uh, of course. We, we enjoy racing against people who are quality competitors, and, and those guys are great, and we love racing against them. We even saw some battles early on in the race, uh, which was great to see. So we're excited to be racing against them, along with the other manufacturers as well. Now, with this new GT4, uh, GT3 and the GT4 Mustang, you've once again leaned uh, quite heavily on Multimatic, who you have a phenomenal partnership with going back many years, including most recently, of course, the, the Ford GT and GTE. Uh, how have things changed then? What, have, what, has, what is everybody telling you? How has the champ this championship moved uh, forward since the last time you guys were in battle? Well, I'd say, you know, the last time we were here is 2019. I was part of that program too, luckily. And, um, you know, th things have moved on. This is a new track. I haven't been here before. Um, it certainly seems to have quite the luster um, and it's exciting to be here. I was happy to see a lot of fans, um, and, and it's, it seems like a great venue. So we'll have to see how the season progresses. I really love the schedule. The tracks we visit is phenomenal, and I'm looking forward to the season. Uh, this week, as I mentioned, we've mentioned we've been telling people all this, but people joining us all the time. It did start well because some of the containers didn't arrive. Global events, uh, nothing to do with anybody in this paddock, uh, nothing that they could have uh, influenced. That just put a little bit of a, a hitch uh, in people's uh, preparation. Um, did that affect you uh, in particular? And was that anything to do with the problem with the 77 car that had that electrical glitch? Uh, it did affect us. One of our cars we air shipped, we air freighted here, so we had that one here. The other one um, came in the containers, and that was late, and that needed actually an engine change and quite a few other things before it was ready to go. So, yeah, the good news is we weren't thrashing on two cars at once. <laughs> uh, the bad news is we were thrashing at all. So, as I mentioned earlier, the logistical challenges. So, uh, the 77 had an electrical problem. And to chase that out, we turned, turns out we needed um, a part we didn't have on site. So 
it's just one of those things where the multi-million dollar investment and commitment comes down to a, a dollar's worth of pot. It was, a, you know, was it a, a fuse? <laughs> yeah, or I a wish it was a dollar, but yeah. No, well, but it wasn't a dollar it's, to get it to you. By the time you got it here, it's quite worth quite the penny. So, uh, yeah, we got that here, and, and unfortunately, we missed free practice three and mm. qualifying with that car because of that. Um, five seconds added to that 77 car for a pit stop infringement next time around. The team still learning the the championship as well, of course, and the cars. Although Proton um, are a you know a fantastic team. Christian Reed, how's it been partnering up with him, who ha- and his team, who have so much, uh, so much experience in in this form of racing. Yeah, such a storied team, and we're excited to be with them. So that helps us a great deal, but. New car, new you know, and, and a lot of the pieces of the team are not the same as they were with their old program. Um, so there's work to be done for sure. We wish we didn't, but we wish we had a lot of practice days to work through this. Mm. All that European testing we did with Proton um, was really about mileage accumulation. It yeah. wasn't about performance testing. So right now you're seeing that we're still trying to get to grips with the car and trying to get to grips with the tire. Well, in some ways, you're, you and, in fact, Corvette uh, with their new gt3 car you're doing this year what the hypercars had to do last year because this this is about the first season is about reliability and getting to understand the car before you can unlock all of that performance true and torque sensors Uh, you've never (laughs) used torque sensors before, which is new to ford so uh, our guys are working hard Um, we've got chris galecki here is one of our tech technical specialists he is uh, his, his brain's too big for his shoulders, but he's figured it out, um, and it's a cool challenge. I do like that challenge. Practically, what does that mean? The drive shafts look different because they've got a big piece yeah, of equipment a, on, and they're much more expensive. They're well, much more expensive. It's an um, electromagnetic charged um, system where you've got a collar that reads the, the change in the field as the torque gets higher. So it's pretty clever. Um, so far, they've been working pretty well, but the, the, the trick is in how you control your engine to meet the re- regulation which is um, it's new for us it's pretty cool and the problem for you is you've got a very good engine and a very torquey engine because you've got a normally aspirated uh, engine that Malta Wilson at M Sports has been working on which is based on the Coyote block which is a street block isn't it yep absolutely GT3 requires it to be a, a stock block um, starts in our foundry and, and built along every other 5 litre we build uh, we bore it out and send it over to, to Malcolm and his team assemble it um, and then then we put it in the car and between us and Malcolm we've tuned it and created uh, the, the engine you hear out there now what would you be happy with in this first season I'm not even going to say in this <laughs> first race because it's an important race it's, there's 38 points for the win here with it being a longer race it's part of the season but where would you be happy to be as for performance in the WEC and then I'll ask you about IMSA in a second uh, great question. I mean, realistically, when you start a program like this with a partnership with Proton, we're not looking at the first year. We're looking at the second and the third. And luckily, Chris has is, is agreed to that with us. Um, so we're really just trying to get our feet and understand what we need to do to make the car as competitive as it can be next year. That's not an answer. I recognize that. No, I think it is. <laughs> I, I, I think it's more than I was possibly even expecting. Does that go the same for IMSA, or is there a little bit more pressure on you because that's in your home country and and effectively your home championship? And you have had some um, you have had some exposure to IMSA with the GT, the previous version of the GT4 car in, in Pilot Challenge in the past. 
Yeah, we know IMSA well. We've been been running there for a long time, and IMSA's. Yeah, I, I tend to agree it's the home championship, but the company is very Ford is very very keen on Le Mans, <laughs> and that's a very important to us. So um, I also value, and our company's starting to see the value of the uh, GT World Challenge Championships as well. Mm. So that's why we're keen to get a car running over there as well. Kevin, you've taken on a lot for the first year. I know that GT3 is a customer oriented. Um, a, a, a formula globally but you have spread yourself out quite a little bit um, how easy or difficult has it been to build the infrastructure required to support those customers we're learning every day <laughs> <laughs> um, just just like our infrastructure is lagging uh, to be to be frank and it's coming along but we're every day we're learning okay we need another head to do this or we this person should be redirected so between us and Multimatic, we're, we're really trying to get ahead of that. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a growing process for sure. So let's just take stock of this. Uh, Kevin Crate is with me from, from Ford Performance. And let's just take stock of what they've done in the recent past then. A new GT4 car, a new GT3 car, competing in multiple championships in the US, multiple championships in Europe and on a global stage. Now, that would be more than enough for most people, but you've also decided that you're going to build a raft of cars for the Mustang Challenge. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, that's looking for punishment for that. <laughs> That's uh, luckily in the hands of a very capable team um, because I don't give it enough attention. But uh, they <laughs> somebody's yeah. going to pick you up on that. <laughs> it's very we're very excited about that one. Um, there's a lot of interest in Mustang Challenge. We're excited to kick that off at Mid Ohio. Uh, we've got plenty of entries. It's going to be a very full grid, and and Mid Ohio is going to be a great place to do that, especially mm. with GS being the headliner there. Oh yeah, that's w- which is the, f- the second four-hour race of the Mission Pilot Challenge week. Uh, trail ahead to that. That is actually on Le Mans Test Weekend as well. So, but the time zones really work nicely for you as a listener, not necessarily for those who have to travel uh, between. We'll have that in sound and vision for you on RS2 and uh, IMSA Radio and IMSA TV right throughout the the, the season. I've just got back from Bathurst. Uh, there's a lot of excitement in four performance at Bathurst. Ben Nightingale was kind enough to let me have a run around the mountain in a street dark horse with the proper stick shift three pedal car amazing piece of kit Mustang is and always has been a global car for Ford it's it's effectively your only car now that is a car so do we expect that Ford performance Mustangs we already have a a Ford performance Mustang in supercars but are we going to see the GT product uh, in Australia and in other places around the world yeah, so as you mentioned before, it's a customer program, so it depends on if they want it. Uh, we, we are certainly having fielding inquiries from teams down there, uh, also GT4. So, um, oh, yeah, new, new Australian GT4 championship coming up as well. Right, and, and that's gaining some, some momentum, so yeah. we're excited to be there. Um, again, subject to future teams' announcements, not, not necessarily my news to share. Uh, and but as the Blue Oval going to some of the classic races around the world, and we're delighted to see, by the way, that despite the fact that there was a change in direction from you guys in Dynamic, and there's no need for us to to go into the whys and wherefores. That's motorsport. Sometimes partnerships work, and sometimes they don't. But Christian Reed's decided that he can't, has got the capability to get cars into the European Championship, which means. Spa 24 hours? Correct. 
that's very exciting. You're not kidding. And a full pro car? <laughs> Can we get a full a pro f- for that? It will be a full pro car, full single season, yeah. single car, full yeah. season pro car. Nürburgring 24? I'm asking because that's one of our favorites. Maybe. Someday. Not this year. Not this year. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we'll see. Subject to future announcements again. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, if I was... Um, if I was to... If, if we were sitting in September then and we're having this conversation again your Mustang Challenge the end of season is going to be at the Indianapolis uh, SRO event so I'm going to talk to you there about what's going on what things do you want to have ticked off by the time that we get there for, for everything that you're doing and it's a lot That's, it is a lot but where do you, where do you want to be if you, if, you, if you put it that way yeah to, to be uh, so clearly I think our intentions are pretty clear IMSA Championship WEC Championship Lamar and IGTC, or mm-hmm. not? Sorry, not IGTC, but the uh, GT World Challenge in Europe. Yeah, um, and having a full pro car there. Yeah. So, um, and that's from the full season expert. That, mm-hmm. That's it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, GT4 is another sort of story. You've seen we've had the Academy announcement of running both British and European GT4, yep. which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're excited for that. Um, so we definitely want to get more GT4s out there. Um, obviously, the US sales are strong, but um, I always say the easiest way to sell GT4 cars is have a GT3 car. Uh, totally agree. <laughs> now, all of this happens because the Mustang, the original pony car, for those of us of a certain age, and Bruce and I are, um, went racing and the street car begat the race car the race car improved the street car now right now dark horse is at the top of the mustang tree isn't it when do we start seeing those going out i see that there's they're on the ford configurator in the uk at the moment correct so i I don't know the sales details to be honest but they're up and yeah just the the just a couple weeks ago they went up on the configurator uh, for those of you in the UK, by the way, you can have one with the appearance pack, uh, that lovely satin blue paintwork and the nice Recaros inside for £65,000. Not that I've looked. <laughs> not not that I've looked. Uh, you get to go some very cool places again this year. Um, some places that you haven't been, some places that you have. Where's your highlights going to be? Well, I think I'm really looking forward to Spa this year, for sure. Um, for me, personally, Imola. Um, Ooh, yeah. Rio. <laughs> So yeah. Yeah, and we, the, and we get to go to Quarter uh, as well. And yeah, you've, you've it's been got, a while. And you've got the Mustang Challenge in Quarter to Correct. support WEC as well. Yeah. So that's a big weekend. Yeah, for that's going to be a fun one. So, yeah, it's a good list. Well, we wish you all the best. And it's great to have Mustang back. It's thank you. right to have Mustang yeah, back. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's got. And thank goodness the big corporations like you and GM are still building cars for enthusiasts. We really do appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Kevin Groot with us uh, here live from the Media Centre and we'll hear a lot more from Kevin Affields uh, through this uh, season and of course we'll have that Mustang Challenge coverage for you live inside Sound and Vision from Mid-Ohio on our sister service um, I am salivating at the idea of getting a dark horse in the, uh, in the UK and giving that a go Bruce Jones has been keeping an eye on what's going on the, cir- the circuit we've cycled through a few pit stops in, in GT3 Le Mans GT3 uh, Bruce uh, in terms of uh, I've just seen one of the BMWs popping back out again uh, and 
pretty much all of the top cars have been in and out in the last lap or so. Yeah, in terms of anything that shaped the race, and excuse me if I went off cans for a second and you mentioned this, but just as you were about to start that interview with Kevin Groot, it came through that the 93 second place Peugeot was Good no point. further action. That, remember, it was about 30 seconds down. No further action. It's now only 22 seconds down. Jean-Éric Verne has taken that over and is uh, chasing off after Andre Lotterer, making a good stab of it. But just if I, can I touch, if I will, for a second on Ford being back in top-level motorsport, but I love what Kevin was saying about their global plans because I, mm. I always think it works best, and I thought that line about the best way to sell GT4 cars is to build a GT3. But I tell you what, when those, uh, that, those rumbling Mustangs hit the European racing scene, what it'd be fantastic at the Spa 24 hours, but German fans have always had a penchant for big American horsepower they may have to wait until uh, next year for the Nürburgring 24 hours but for Ford's participation. But as uh, Kevin pointed out, they're racing the GT World Challenge across Europe and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be such a popular car. I've actually parked my 1973 Boss Mustang outside uh, here. So, you know, it stays deep. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think the interesting part about that is um, basically if the customers come, we will build it. I mean, they build yeah. the cars and they're running them already. Um, form an orderly queue under the big blue oval sign that says for performance and, and that that in essence really is gt3 and gt4 bruce isn't it and you know whether it's you know we've got mclaren sitting alongside me here we've got uh, aston martin just over the far side uh, of the the circuit then the cars are there um come and talk to us we'll you know we can support you in terms of getting the parts to you etc etc and it really is. You pays your money, you takes your choice. Oh, totally. And, and don't tell me that uh, when Transab had its most fabulous days through the late 1960s, early 1970s, that didn't boost sales. Of course it did. Everyone yeah. wanted to be their hero. Epic scraps. And like, equally, the big American muscle had great days in Australia as well around the same sort of time. So, you know, sometimes you just need to light the blue touch paper or the blue oval in this case and get it going again. And I think you look out across the GT grids, there's a balance of performance issue that gets their performance close together, but the different car shapes is what's so magical. There are times in racing where you don't get great difference. But as I said earlier, you had a Ford Mustang sitting behind a Ferrari 296 GT3. Couldn't look more different, but with the same sort of performance absolutely fantastic and that is why i'm so excited that we've got all these manufacturers coming to play in the world endurance championship it's just a sort of rich catholic taste of racing and you know you you pick your favorites yeah, and the the point is as well that everybody goes on and on about bop balance of performance and how it's not this and it's not that but without that you simply wouldn't have that variety you and i remember GT racing in the past where one or other manufacturer would come up with a better mousetrap and within a season and a half all of a sudden it was like a Porsche Cup grid or it was you know somebody else's because they had the best car yeah. and what we have now is the opportunity for these world manufacturers to build great looking and sounding cars and compete on a relatively level playing field. No ab absolutely so and uh, you know we are the beneficiaries right now it just looks sure. brilliant. And also the racing is great. And right here, right now, it doesn't matter. This battle is over 10th place. But Rio Hirakawa is being pushed and shoved, almost, yep. by Antonio Fuoco. Half a second between them. They're scrapping over the last points paying position. Like mad, what have we got left on the clock? We've got uh, just over five and a half hours. But it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant racing. The fact that Toyota is... Uh, down at the bottom of the top 10 shows how the tide has turned. That's their second car. The better place car, number seven, is up in sixth. But uh, 
the battling is brilliant. And the GT3 drivers have been sensationally good so far of keeping out of the way, but they have such competitive battles. It really is hard. Yes. No, you know, where do you look next? But <coughs> great racing. Good days. Oh, let's uh, nip down to the pits. Uh, Bruce Gianni is uh, going to catch up with Philippe Signor from Alpine and have a chat about the A454. So, Philippe, that's it. You're in front of all the other big names. How's the beginning of the race going? Uh, tough race. We avoid any problem uh, during the first lap. So, uh, we survive. And now we, we keep the pace for two to... The main target of this race is finish the race with the two car. We have two different strategies, and we will see at the end, but uh, it's not a good way at the moment. Okay, thank you very much. Good luck. Thank you. Beautiful looking car, that, and I had a good chat with Philippe at the launch of that car, which was at the Formula One facility at Enstone. Uh, and the feature on it that is totally and utterly unnecessary, but so very Alpine and in some ways um, quite playful is the design of the rear light clusters which are the Alpine A's uh, one on the right is the right way around the one on the left is the other way around and they came up with this idea and put them on there and that was a marketing idea of course it was it was a branding idea but then the engineers came back and said can we make those bigger because they actually we could get something out of that so they've actually made them bigger on the back and they look fantastic and they've also got proper disco led lights as part of the front headlamp pod as well the little flat bit in front of the projector headlights or the led headlights are um, sort of a tft screen that they can make do all kinds of different things it could be an indicator it can be a light that flashes for the uh, pitlet speed limiter or the 80k speed limiter or it can be multicoloured and a little checkered flag all of that sort of stuff we're back into pit stop times again just before we go for our Hertz hourly update well this of course the is the 94 Peugeot yeah this is the car the car that was spun at the first corner and immediately went out of sync with everybody else the 94 car pulled the rest of the innocent party if I could just fleetingly go back John talking about Alpine of course the A 110 has been a fantastic road car for the last sort of four or five years but I loved I saw a rendering it might have been a photograph I can't remember of one of those with extra long bodywork and that echoed a couple of a car I saw last weekend that didn't go out on the I went to an event called the ice in San Moritz and they had a couple uh, had a, an amazing array of cars we saw them in the garages had all the concourse but the next day they were supposed to be driving around the lake but what they had was two Alpine prototypes from the late 1960s one was the a220 long and the other was core neither of them worked unfortunately the type of it they, you could drive them but they just didn't have great success but it's echoing the long bodywork of that on a contemporary alpine road car i love it whether it exists or whether it's just a concept i do not know but i love that nod to the past uh, with a bit of luck at a fair wind we should have a real world road test on an a110 um, as soon as I can find somewhere sensible to give it a good run uh, to thanks to Alpine and Renault in the UK Scottish borders that's the country you yeah. want to head for I'd say you know those roads I'm, John I'm thinking exactly the same Bruce that you know nip up for a, um, I, I know a very good butchers in uh, in Jedburgh for uh, square sausage lawn sausage and a, uh, a bit of uh, their special black pudding and various other uh, requisites and round Jedburgh and Kelso and then back oh. across to Duns for the Jim Clark Museum back down to Northumberland close to Newcastle and Sunderland I think that might be right up 
the uh, right up the rue of the uh, of the car. Big cut in the battle. Uh, Ferrari number 50 at the moment having a cracking scrap. But again, this is all for. Uh, minor places, relatively minor places, out just outside the top ten or around the top ten, and all four wheels off there uh, by that Ferrari AF Corsa Antonio Fuoco, uh, and there's a couple of uh, warning flags coming out. Let's hear from Rio Herrera. Car was radio in the eight Toyota Gazoo racing car. Yeah, sorry, I can't keep this guy. I mean, losing that time by talking. Sorry, they're like five minutes faster, sector three. Yeah, copy, I saw him cut, I saw him cut uh, 15, I think. Right, so uh, that was the 50 car, Antonio Fuoco, that we were talking about, battling with Rio to get by. And into the pit lane, as Bruce was saying, actually, the Persia starts off the pit stops because they're slightly out of kilter. And then it's the number five Porsche, uh, see above comment, and that car... <laughs> is now into the pit lane which I think was Fred Mako we put yeah. in that car wasn't it? Yeah, 30 was, laps of Fred that's right he was the last one he's staying in he's going to be doing a double stint but yeah we've got the two cars that are completely out of kilter with everybody else due to uh, various circumstances uh, making their pit stops early gap between first and second is still Porsche Penske Motorsport number 6 that's uh, Andre Lotterer leading Jean-Eric Verne by 22 seconds it's really settled down now that battle between oh. first and second some debris on the circuit. Is that a wheel arch liner? Look like uh, it. Lots of steam strokes. Well, overheating brakes on the front of that number five Porsche Penske 963. But that was a very uh, ordered and orderly stop from PPM. And that car goes back out again let's see what race control is saying about that uh, debris on the track at the moment nothing at all I, I was just going to uh, make a note and I, I think we mentioned this at the time but importantly in the last round of pit stops Andrea Lotterer's car the number 6 car stayed out a couple of laps longer than Jean-Eric Verne which meant they didn't lose the lead on the pit stop uh, the second place car the number 93 pitted first on its fourth pit stop and two laps later the number six car leading the race that came in and so the the lead did not change on the pit stop and I always look for little markers like that Bruce to see see where the significant points of the race are and Andres got the better at the moment of uh, of the Peugeot although last time around of course I say that there was four tenths to the advantage of Jeff in second place but that gap has just been easing out a tenth here a couple of tenths there hovering around 20 21 22 seconds at the front of the field yeah you're so right if you could squeak 35 oh. seconds to full, full course, course yellow. yellow okay that's not surprising anyhow just as if you can eke out a spare pit stop you're laughing full course yellow. yes gives Correct. you scope for things like this I am trying to work out what that is. It's turned. Um, there's two pieces of debris the actually. Yellow in less than 15 seconds. Turn full five to the left hand side. Ten, nine, and turn eight, thirteen to the left hand side. Six, five, four, three, two, one. 
Full course yellow. Full course yellow. The Hertz Hourly Update. Getting you to your let's go moments for more than 100 years. All right, let's take a look at what's going on in our Hertz Hourly Update at half past three here in Qatar. We'll start with GT3. It's Manti first and uh, it's Manti first uh, with the Pure Racing team. Alexandra Malikin, who started the race with a stunning run in the number 92, um, had about two seconds before we went into this full course yellow. The time gaps will go out, of course, because they're slowing down to 80, so 80 kph. So I'll just give you the positions here. It's Daniel Mancinelli who is behind the wheel of the Heart of Racing, second place, Aston Martin, number 27. Then the two Vista AF Corsa cars. It's Davide Rigon and Alessio Rivera, uh, respectively, in the 54 and 55. Nice to see they're in number order there. That's tidy. Valer, Valentino Rossi in fifth in the number 46 team WRT. They'll be happy with that because they didn't think that car had pace this weekend. They've been struggling for top speed and a bit of balance on that car, which they were sort of a bit worried about. Uh, D-Station Racing make up the top six. It's uh, Clement Mathieu, who's back behind the wheel of the 777. And then it's the 31 of WRT, the 91 of Mante, uh, EMA, Yasser Shaheen there. And I'm just checking to see if they're all still on the lead lap. Yes, they are. Uh, and Sarah Bovey for Iron Dames in ninth is still on the lead lap. And I've got a feeling that Daniel Hunk there uh, is just still on the lead lap in 10th position. Uh, but Arnold Robert for Akadis, uh, just ahead of his teammate, actually, in the two Lexus. I think they're the first cars off the lead lap in... Uh, in GT but once they get back to speed we'll check that again because it's always a bit iffy when they're running it 80k in fact we've gone back to green so that'll clear itself up again at the top of the house it was so this gives you an idea of how things change and how you can misread things it was 21 22 seconds under green flag racing but under that very quick full course yellow it goes out to 53 seconds um, that'll come down again very quickly. But Andre Lotterer leads Jean-Eric Verne. Porsche 963, number six from Porsche Penske Motorsport. From the 9X8 of Peugeot Total Energies, uh, they have been energised uh, this week and have been running strongly. They have not looked into this with this car. That car has been there or thereabouts right since the start and indeed has led, led the race. Nominato has another Porsche in third. This is the first of the Hertz Team Jordan, the number 12 car. It's the... Uh, AF Corsa uh, yellow car the number 83 uh, still AF Corsa still um, assisted by Ferrari complicated car but the 499p of the two Roberts and Ife yet in fourth position Toyota Gazoo Racing Kami Kobayashi uh, was just hanging on to the end of the lead lap uh, when we got to the end of the last pit stop cycle. We'll see if they've managed to be able to do that. And then in sixth and seventh, two more Porsches. Jensen Button in the mighty 38 and Fred Makovecki in the Porsche Penske number five. The top ten made up by Earl Bamba in the Cadillac number two with Ferrari's Antonio Forco number 50 fighting his way, grafting his way into the top ten in that number 50. Uh, much to the chagrin of Rio Hirikawa, who he... Seem to have passed all four wheels off the track or at least gained on through turn 15 for the Toyota Gazoo Racing. That's how they stand. 
Four hours and 34 minutes gone. Five 26 remaining and the leader Andre Lotterer has co completed 153 laps of a potential 335 the computer says the prediction with that many that much time to go is 337 laps completed in 10 hours so we may not yet go the full 10 hours despite that slight slowdown and we'll be back with another update in an hour the hourly update. Hertz Rental Car, getting you to your let's go moments for over 100 years. Brace Jones in the Global Broadcast Centre, John Heindorf on the inside of the track uh, here at LaSalle in the Media Centre, which is busied up a little bit in the last few minutes. One or two of the four togs being out taking pictures, they'll be getting ready in. About, what are we now, 20 past three, about two hours' time, they'll need to be out to snatch the uh, the sunset picture because you don't get an awful lot of time here. Into the pitch for Antonio Fuoco in the number 50 Ferrari 499P. So that work getting him into the top 10. He'll now drop back down again. And just looking at... Sorry, Bruce, go ahead. No, I was just going to cut it in there because as uh, you were just saying that, as the Ferrari is coming in the pit lane, change in the LMGT3 class. Daniel Mancinelli has been the Italian racer for the heart of racing. Aston Martin team has just pulled ahead of Alex Malakin in the uh, Mansai Pure Racing Porsche. He's been hunting him down, but, you know, did that sensible thing. Didn't dive at the first gap. Wanted to be sure he was going to make it work and did it very well indeed. So Daniel now pulling clear. And, uh, well, we'll see how far he can advance. But for Aston Martin, they've been looking very good since the start of this race. Mm. And for, for Alex Malakin, though, he did the opening few stints, handed over the car to one of his teammates uh, for a, a short while, to Joel Sturm. Still got Klaus Backler to play, but for Malakin, when he pits, that will be the end of his involvement in this race, unless he chooses to be more. But he's got his bronze time almost completed. But Heart of Racing team to the front in GT3. They've had a decent start of the season as well we talk obviously about Matty Campbell for Porsche and what he's done but let's not forget Harter Racing Team were down in Bathurst as well with three rookies and came away with a podium finishing a race that they could have won in Proamp and also running in IMSA as well they ran at the uh, they ran at the six hours of Abu Dhabi as well with, uh, with SPS in the AMG um, splitting uh, splitting their loyalties although in fairness the running gear uh, similar in those cars so Penske Motorsport and it's rebalanced now back down to 25 and a half seconds fastest lap of the Porsche 963 Hertz 12 car race uh, last time around Norman Nardo with a 140.7 7 39.7 is still the fastest lap of the race. That belongs to another Porsche, the number the number five car. Well, that was put in by Matt Campbell some um, what 20 odd laps ago, more than that. It was on lap 119, and we're working lap 156 at the moment. So, still plenty happening. Watching what's going on on the socials as well at RSL underscore Studio. It's an absolute joy because clearly people who dropped in to watch the first half an hour, 40 minutes, maybe up to the first pit stop, just haven't moved. Um, it is fantastic. Matt Wood says it, it's brilliant racing, but with the amount of manufacturers represented, there's pretty much someone for everyone to cheer as well. I don't think Tom Aaron, 
has got much work done today. Hello, Tom. Um, nice to know that you've been tuned in. He says, uh, it just reignites how I feel as a motorsport, felt as a motorsport obsessed child. And that's um, a big part of who I am. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I know what you mean. There's something, there's something very special about this. And the buzz in this paddock over the last week, uh, despite the issues and despite nobody getting on track last Saturday and Sunday as required, being able to sit around and talk with people, have a cup of coffee or whatever, and chew the could with literally no pressure on anybody there, Bruce. It was really interesting to hear how relaxed everybody was in those interview shows. And, and we got some good information about that, that they were very happy to talk about because they're excited about this year as we are. How could they not be? But you know what, John? It might have seemed like a curse and annoyance that uh, the cars effectively arrived two days later than planned. But uh, time is a gift that is seldom in anyone's uh, remit in motor racing. We charge around the world. We often suddenly realize you haven't had a proper chat with someone for about five years, even if you've been yes. to the same race meetings. Yes. But to why, So that, that was wonderful. And it came across in the interviews in, in, from the prologue and the build up for this weekend. But with the diversity of machinery in the hypercar class and in GT3, you can always have your favourite and your underdog favourite as well. And I think particularly, not so much in GT3, of course we've got the new, new, new the incomers from uh, the Mustang and the 720S joining the World Endurance Championship for the first time, everybody for the first time in GT3. But in, in, the, in the top class, in the hypercar class, you know, we're seeing manufacturers doing way better than we expected, and conversely, people like Toyota and Ferrari, who had the success last year, not doing as well as we expected, and that is wonderful for me in motor racing. Now, one of the Ferraris is the, was the best placed one. It's in the pits. A bit of front-left bodywork damage, only a little bit. And, and rear. Edge, perhaps. And rear left as well. Ah. He's had an incident with Yasser Shaheen at turn 12. It's under investigation. It's Robert Schwarzman who was behind the wheel of that car. And that car is therefore in um, not on sequence. And as Bruce rightly said, that was the better placed uh, of the Ferraris. And that is a bit of a bit of a nightmare for them. That car was sitting well inside the top five before it came into the pit lane, already dropping down to the lower reaches of the top ten. It is that close. Norman Nato into the pit lane for a much more standard-looking pit stop. He's out of the car already. Now, they're looking at the tyres as they're bolting the new driver in, but I'm not sure they're necessarily going to change that. And that getting in I think it was Will Stevens getting into that car well they try and keep him out of the car but he's so keen to get involved now just a little query there John that the yellow non-works Ferrari the AF course of the private entry Robert Schwartzman wasn't so long ago we had bits of bodywork in the track you thought there might have been the inside of a, a wheel arch I'm wondering if it's, oh. if it's on that car he's El Bamba beginning to get pick up now but tyres good that's a very uh, good point well made I wonder if that was from either behind the, fr the front wheel or under the front wheel or behind the rear wheel of one of those cars that could have been a wheel arch liner from a, um, a GT3 LM GT3 Porsche a 911 992R that's a very good point that it was at 15.27 uh, was it that long ago it doesn't 
Yeah, no, that's about right, isn't it? Because it was just before our Hertz hourly update. Just uh, an interesting moment on the track, not for position, but a BMW, I think, just unlapping itself from the leader in the GT3 category. That was not for the lead. No, that was actually, he was actually fighting for position of the D station racing, the other Aston Martin. So uh, yes, I apologise. Yes, 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 yes. But, you know, Aston Martin's still very, very well placed and leading the class, as you just pointed out, Heart of Racing team. Daniel Mancinelli, I thought he might escape. He's pulled out three seconds, so little by little, he's getting away from Alex Malakin in the pure racing Porsche. It's Bruce Jones with John Hindoff into the pit lane. Uh, is the BMW number 15. This is Dries Van Tor. He's going to be getting out as well. Most of the teams are on a something like a similar pattern of how they've worked their drivers. Van Tor getting out. And is that Marco Wittmann getting in? Yeah, wait, wait and see on that one. But uh, they certainly worked their cycle. It was Vitman uh, first, Marcelli out. Yeah, Vitman because he's not as tall as Raffaele Marcello. Damage to the front of the 99 Porsche as well. This is the FAT Turbo Proton car. Left front of that normally immaculate car. Also looking a bit pre-loved. As a now they look like a used set of Michelins going on to the BMW. Oh, no, is that Rears only on that car? I think it was. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. They definitely were tyres that have seen action before. So the teams are going to have to really get used to this year, this year with eight sets for, uh, for a race and a long race too. As we said, 10 hours is effectively the target, or 18, 12 kilometres. 335 laps, lots of numbers to throw at you. But uh, so far, the cautions have been fairly short. So I don't know, you've got the predictor. Are they still looking at 337 laps? It keeps it, that we it's moving. Yeah, it is a moving target. It's down to 3.30 now, um, okay. which is which is interesting. Um, uh, it, I, I never thought we'd get anywhere near it, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. So, it, it's, to me, it was always going to be 10 hours. Uh, timed races are also a nightmare for television coverage, particularly for the stations who go away and come back and uh, you know you, you don't want to finish half an hour early if the station's coming back for the last 45 minutes and all of a sudden they only get three laps um, so mm, it is a bit of a tough one it, it's why Petit Le Mans uh, in the States stopped being uh, 10 hours or 1,000 miles because I don't think we ever did 10 hours I think we always did the 1,000 miles and, and I think the quickest we did was something like 9 940 or something, maybe 945. So that, that's, you know, as I say, it's a bit of an odd one. Second place car in the pits for Peugeot Technologies. Peugeot Total Technologies. And Jev is staying in, getting a quick drink from an external drinks bottle. So he'll still have his pressurised drink bottle as well. This is the car with the green marker lights on the front, the green claws, if you will. And there are tyres there but I don't think they're going to be used just behind them on the pit lane was oh, sorry, just in front of them in the pit lane was the uh, number 38 Jensen Button driven Jota the Hertz Racing Gold 
coloured machine and that was a fuel only stop for in fact it's changed over and I'd say that again Rasmussen that is on top right. board yeah so that wasn't that a fuel only that was a full now here is a bit of drama Bruce because going into the pit lane uh, we've got one of the cars that's have been there or thereabouts at the front for Porsche. They've dropped down a wee bit at the moment, but Yasser Shaheen still inside the top ten and point scoring. Well, he was. The car's back in the garage. Yeah, bear in mind, this is the car we, we think had contact with the Robert Schwartzman uh, bright yellow AF Corsa Ferrari prototype, hypercar, and uh, maybe... We couldn't see any... Uh, very quickly, as it was swung around and reversed into the garage, pushed back into the garage. Couldn't see any damage, but uh, one feels they wouldn't be putting it back if it was all plain and dandy. But again, I couldn't see anything on the front end of the car that looked too battered, but it was a, a quarter of a second, I think, we had to see as he got swung in there. Plenty more action up and down the pit lane, but that will be a big shame for the Manti EMA team because Yasser Shaheen was going very well on board. But uh, largely, though, John, I must say, oh. the width here has been very handy indeed for the drivers. We've got away with a few because they've got runoff to go on to. Yeah, and, and we've just had the call from race control. This one's been placed at the door of the GT3 car. And when that car comes back out, it will have to serve a drive-through, causing a collision with the, uh, what did we say it was, the 83? 83 car, yeah. Yeah, that was the yellow Ferrari. Uh, so that is, uh, I'm afraid, going to end in a, a drive-through when that car comes back out number of fastest laps Daniel Mancinelli for Hartner Racing did his fastest lap in the car's fastest lap of the race last time around at 54-1 um, fastest GT3 lap though is the 296 Ferrari number 55 a 153.7 well, that, is, that is hauling I think that's the only car into the 53s in the GT3 class uh, 39.7 is still the fastest lap for the car that Fred Makovecki is driving at the moment, the number five Porsche Penske Motorsport, and that's the only car in the 39s in the LMH category, although another quick lap, so people are finding some grip, and maybe as that temperature just drops a degree or two, and the cars are getting lighter on fuel, uh, it was Mathieu Vaxvier in the A424 number 36 142.0 that was their fastest time and the leader is in the pits Bruce yeah looking cool calm collected number 6 Porsche waiting to see if any tyres are offered the refuelling is uh, continuing actually just uh, looking back to GT3 uh, both of the Vista AF Corsa Ferraris have lapped in the 1 minute 53 so they've clearly got ah, something very yes, special right. indeed within about a, a couple of tenths but uh, best best to breed in terms of single lap speed, that's for sure, in the LMG. And considering, considering, Bruce, that those two cars, I think, were the very last two to be uh, unloaded. Remarkable. Uh, we're talking about Daniel Mancinelli doing his best and the car's best lap. He's just pitted. He's out of the car now, which means we can have a word with the man at Heart of Racing. Daniel, not only the car is probably one of the most beautiful GT3 cars, but it's also working very well. How was the, the, the beginning and the second part of the race for you? Until uh, now, pretty good. Uh, difficult to manage all the traffic out there, especially now the, outs, the outside the racing line, uh, there are a lot of marbots. So when uh, prototypes lap you, it's very, very difficult then to, to make the next corners because they, we got a lot of pickup. 
and uh, but it's challenging. Uh, we we are having fun. Uh, we feel that we have quite a strong car, consistent. Uh, we'll, we'll be not the fastest, but I think consistent. So I'm very happy, and the team has been doing a great job. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Chris Giovanni joining the WAC pit lane team, and we'll be taking over it from Louise for the next couple of races. We'll welcome Louise back, back at Le Mans. Got Spa to come, of course, directly before Le Mans, but we're off to Italy next. And the WEC, in conjunction with the teams and entrants, uh, deciding it's not worth the risk of taking the cars back across country to Jeddah and then back through the Suez Canal. Nobody wants to come any further down than Saudi Arabia um, because of the... Uh, aggressive uh, aggression that is going on down there at the moment and so there's a, a also an added complication that of course Ramadan is starting and therefore the a lot of work uh, work during the day is not going on so it'll be air freight back to Europe for the teams so that they can be ready for the next round uh, a somewhat pragmatic decision made there, super stop there by WRT Darren Young broke the car in, this is the number 31, the red and white car with turbo written down the side um, Augusto Farfus is the driver who's got on board they kept him back pretty much the halfway point in the race but uh, again you keep your most experienced and highest ranked driver back to the as late as you can into the race so he's taken over but for Darren Long he's just come pounding up the international race order in recent years so great to see him having good run on the world endurance championship level flurry of pit stops again and uh, we've got Toyota Gazoo racing number 8 in the pits and they're struggling to get the left rear off there the mechanic using a very expensive Paoli uh, wheel gun to try and knock the nut off um, when he needed a sort of a rubber hammer or a leather hammer just to loosen that one off but it's worked and that car goes back out Alpine have just re uh, rejoined with Mathieu Vaxvier so who was in that Toyota? It's Rio Hirikawa and now they're down at uh, Toyota GR Racing they're checking the inside of the wheel to make sure that there's nothing awry there uh, also in D-Station Racing, Clement Mathieu out of the car and helping his teammate in and well, that's not Marco Sorensen so it must be Erwin Bastard who almost got pinged earlier on for track limits he was on his last morning so he can't go any further take any further hits from that side of things it's only in GT3 that some of the drivers have still yet to go out in this race very very mm. few minutes time will be at the halfway point but still quite a few of the top names waiting to play as you said Marco Sonson not seen him yet Maxime Martin haven't seen him yet Franck Pereira you get the gist there the quick guns mm. being kept for later in the race up front though it just just not going right we heard 
An interview with Toyota early with uh, Brendan Hartley. They just don't seem to have the balance. And uh, at the moment, uh, the number eight car, his car is in the hand of Rio Hirakawa, just coming out after its pit stop. That's in ninth overall. And the better place is number seven that started on the outside of the front row. Can we Kobayashi at the wheel of that one at the moment? But uh, they're not just able to set the pace of the, of the leading Porsches and Peugeots. That's the story of this event. Love this part of the race. This is where all the mental calculations, the spreadsheets, they're all being poured over in the pit lane. We know that Eduardo Freitas is not a fan of bunching the field up with the safety car. He's dealt with a couple of incidents that we've had which have been just for debris. He's dealt with them with full course yellows. We've not had the new VSC virtual safety car procedure and we've not seen the safety car either since it became the safety car and stopped being the pace car at the start of the race and that's how we like it because what we're seeing here Bruce is the relative pace of these cars and I suspect that ACO technical and we'll have Thierry Bouvier I'm hoping uh, in to talk to us within the next hour or so um, but ACO technical will be absolutely delighted about this long green flag runs everybody having to show what they've got uh, and data coming in at terabytes worth of data coming in for them to pour over in the coming weeks That's a, that is indeed a very very good point if this was a stop start uh, run they would just be so hampered we all know that you suddenly you know your your lap pace you go there their pace is going up and down that's because the hypercars have started lapping the gt3s but right now it's settled into its running order settled into its form and you're quite right they're really gathering the, the data they need to form the picture of the rest of the season uh, Le Mans by the way um, we've had this confirmed Le Mans will be a, uh, a separate uh, performance balancing table so nothing that happens in terms of let's say Spa the race directly before um, that's not necessarily going to uh, affect Le Mans it will be much more the the racing at the test day, or the, the running, should I say, at the test day, that will be taken into uh, taken into account, and we'll obviously be reporting from the test day. We still have our live coverage from that coming your way in June. Seems like it's a little bit later this year, but it, it it's just the way. The start of the year is it's almost always around at or on or around the 24th weekend of the year you see what they did there at Le Mans and the test weekend now since uh, Covid has been the, the weekend directly before there's no gap between so they're making a bit of a festival uh, to be honest and I, I, I do rather like that on the timing screen in front of us here in the press room it says 169 laps to go more pertinent is the fact that there are just over five hours to go at the moment is that right yes it is uh, as we're coming up to four o'clock in the afternoon here at the Lazale circuit a circuit that has, I think, raced a little bit better than people were thinking it would. There was some worry that it would be difficult to have a proper race on it as the 
is off the Faschini comes in to the pit lane. They got pinged for a 200 second penalty earlier on. The torque sensors doing their job. And that car, I think, is going to go into the pits. And uh, let's hear from them. Here's their radio. Something was wrong, something is broken. I think it's front right hand side. It was Antonio Saravale who brought, brought that car in the pit. I, I think it might be front suspension on that car because when that car went up um, onto the trolleys, it, uh, it's that wheel sort of didn't look, or the, the axle didn't look right. And if they pulled that rim off straight away, and they're taking off the nose cone of that car. Well, I tell you, John, about um, half a lap before it came in, suddenly the, the pace seemed to drop away, and it, say it looked a little bouncy. Doesn't ah. sound terribly technical, but actually leading to where it ended up, I would suggest that you're, you're, you're pretty much spot on. Front right-hand corner, something has, has gone amiss. So for Antonio Cerevali, the American driver, uh, sorry, Canadian driver, that uh, isn't a dream ticket. And uh, I noticed suddenly, of course, the others in the pit lane, not expecting him back, had to scramble. And Carl Batana Bennett was doing that thing, but just sitting on the garage floor at the back of the garage. You know, sitting on co coolish concrete isn't always a very good thing for a long time. He got up and he seemed to be uh, limping around trying to get blood back into his foot. But really, it's all about uh, the Duquesne yeah, team point. getting that car fixed and back out. Again, it's a huge mountain for them to climb, but they brought something new, something different. And let's hope they can get it through to the end of the race. Another investigation to Peugeot Total Energies. Sean Eric Verne's last pit stop under investigation. Now, there's a myriad of things that could be potentially penalised there. We saw that car go out. I don't think it was an unsafe release, but normally that would be specifically mentioned by race control. So, could be pit lane speeding. Uh, it could be not spending long enough on their fueling and energy replenishment too many people over the line maybe I don't think he got tyres last time did he, he just went out well we'll leave the stewards to do their work reported by race control law and it will be down to the stewards to make the investigation and decide any potential penalty we are at half distance. Get the memes out. Halfway there. And it is Porsche Penske Motorsport leading. Andre Lotterer. A handy half a minute gap now. Back to John Eric Verne in second place. He's got a couple of seconds on Fred Mekavecki, who, generally speaking, has been just closing, inching towards the back of the Peugeot. So the two Penske Motorsport, Porsche Penske Motorsports car with the Peugeot as the meat in the sandwich. Then another Porsche, this time from Callum Island and Hertz Team Jordan. It's the number 12 car. And I think Robert Schwartzman for AF Corsa was the last car on the lead lap. But I'll have to see that car come round. It's going to be very close. If I see where they are on the track, I can give you that. In GT3, Two Vista AF Corsa cars. Bruce said they'd been quick. They, they have clocked the two quickest times on a single lap. And they are first and second, 54 from 55. 
Davide Rigon and Alessio Rivera from Valentino Rossi in his WEC debut. The Team WRT in third position. It's about a minute back from second place. Heart Racing Alex Riberas now plugged into the 27 Aston with Manti Pure Racing. Klaus Backler has finally been let off the leash. They've slapped him around, fed him some raw meat and said nasty things about his family. And he's been set to stun in sixth, fifth position rather. Iron Dames behind them in sixth position with Sarah Bovey in the Lamborghini. That's how it stands as we are halfway through the race. That's Bruce Jones and John Hindorf in this absolutely enthralling opener to the 2024 FIA World Endurance Championship season. Oh, more investigations. Oh, uh, not respecting full course yellows. Oh, that's the Zorta Fraschini. So they're in strife anyway in the pit lane. However, 87 might be more significant. Now uh, that's the Akodis car. Uh, and the better placed of them, that's a 10th place point scoring car at the moment for Jose Maria Lopez. He, he had a warning uh, already, uh, Jose Maria, moving over from the Toyota prototype team and now full course yellows may have caught them out right Bruce half down half to go can we can we just have another five hours like we've just had please I think Bruce would agree with that it's just oh hello JP yeah, no, sorry yeah, that's all right I, I didn't see the time we've done a little switch around to allow Bruce uh, some time away so uh, but yeah I it's very difficult still to predict this and thoroughly enjoyable. I like the fact that, again, you know, this championship begins with not the main race, but a pretty big one as a second best. And we've had Sebring kicking off the season for a couple of years, but now moving to an entirely different part of the world, but a nice lengthy race for us all to work out precisely where some of these teams may be mm. all season long, not just in this one particular one but you know as we've said you can't you can ill afford to have a, a big nightmare here um, with the exception of those cars that are being introduced to the championship and therefore it's, it's quite a tough one to you know to crack straight away maybe they'll be eager to get a couple of six hour races under the belt uh, next up at Imola and at Spa-Francorchamps just before we get into uh, our stride here JP just a, a little bit of housekeeping here um, which I forgot to mention earlier on, actually. Uh, you remember that the EMA Manti Porsche came in to the pit lane and had to go into the garage. That was an electronic electric throttle actuator that had to be changed. That's, that was for the number 91 uh, Porsche, and that's why that car has uh, dropped down. The 92, the Bend car, was uh, involved in an incident... Uh, for which it has been penalised. So when that car goes back out again, uh, and has it gone back out again, uh, it will be uh, coming back in for a drive-through. That's very odd. Uh, my timing screen not actually, I think, up to date there. That's Klaus Backler who's taken that car out. Okay, so they didn't lose that much time then but they did lose the lead lap in class right okay that makes sense carry on <laughs> okie doke 
just to make sure that everything's straight before we yeah, uh, well, yeah. carry on with the next segment. No, no, it's important. I fully agree I like, with that. I like, to, I like to sort of square the circles, you know, make sure yeah, that yeah. I've signed everything in and signed everything out. Uh, sorry, it was Yasser uh, Shaheen that was behind the wheel of the, uh, the 91 car with the incident, and that car is in the pit lane. Uh, and we'll get its uh, a penalty when it comes back out. The 92 is the one with the throttle problem. I got them the wrong way around, I think, there. Klaus Blackler, though, is uh, still sitting in fifth position as we're inside the second half. We are, yeah. Ticking across uh, the hour of four o'clock means that we're five hours in and uh, we're just less than now five hours to go, targeting the ten hours now rather than the uh, estimated race distance or the required race distance of 335 laps. Andre Lotterer leading by just over 26 seconds then over Jean-Éric Verne. Still impressed with Peugeot's pace and its consistency as well. And that gap has steadily been coming down between the, Peugeot, the Porsche that leads and the Peugeot that is doing the chasing. But those involved with Peugeot Total Energies will be a little wary of the Hertz Team Jota car as well, getting possibly slightly bigger in the mirrors at times, mainly on the, on the main straight. 21 seconds further back for Norman Natto. But um, I wonder whether that is a precursor, the way Jota have been rotating their drivers to how they will work it for the rest of the season, or is that specific mm. for a 10-hour race? Because they've just been doing single stints. Uh, will Stevens, Norman Natto, Calamila all got to go in the opening three hours. And now we've gone back to Will Stevens and Norman Natto again. And um, that maybe will help with with the tyre wear. I suppose some new drivers to the car will have to be using the tyres that had previously been, been used by the outgoing driver. So uh, that has to be borne in mind as well when you are handing the car over in as best condition as possible. Valentino Rossi is about to clamber out of the BMW that he's been driving for the past hour and a bit. So Rossi out and uh, the... Uh, uh, Bond, no, the, the BMW continues on, still with Rossi at the wheel, I should say, but he can't be too far away from maybe there being a driver change there. 46 started with Ahmed Alhati with that ridiculously long stint for three and a half hours, and it remains to be seen whether Valentino Rossi is going to do his two hours and 55 minutes in one go, or whether we'll see a driver change. Yeah, that is taking place now. And the 81 car having just made a stop as well. But I think Rossi will be pleased with that stint, getting it out of the way uh, relatively early on, just as soon as Ahmed Alhati relinquished control of the BMW. That was all down to them needing the extra few minutes from the Omani driver. And they said, well, can you do the better part of another stint? And uh, unfortunately for him, the water bottle failed. Whereas Rossi looking a little fresher than uh, his teammate did uh, when he got out just over an hour or so ago. Yeah, and there's nothing worse than if you're expecting to get your water bottle and it's not there. You'll see the drivers quite often when they're in the pit lane, if they're doing a double or a treble, whilst in the pit lane, they'll be given a, a freestanding bottle, if you like, to have a, a little drink from so they can save what's in the bottle. The that'll often come in um, under pressure with a little electric pump like a, uh, like a windscreen washer pump actually 
progressive racing dominated the market I think they still do to be honest um, David H down through the years perfected this uh, uh, pressurised system where you just banged a, uh, a new bottle onto a, a dry brake system very clever and pretty much everybody was using it I think most of them still do hardly anything to go wrong that's the clever bit of it and I've, I've got to say I, I'm very impressed that drivers having enough um, particularly GT3 drivers who aren't full pro drivers have any mental capacity left JP to do anything else other than drive the car and point it in, in the right direction and being able to remember to take a drink and push a button and open your mouth at the right time so that it doesn't squirt up in your eyes or anything like that. It would, I'm afraid it would be a mess with me. So I, I don't even try it. There's no point in even attempting it, in fact. Indeed. As far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, I, I never quite know which becomes the muscle memory. Is it controlling the car or is it the ability to press the button and open the mouth at the same time? I mean, you would favour the latter, really. Get that done so it's autom almost automatic and then control the car afterwards because that's got to take 95% of your concentration mm. but you know these hypercar drivers are also having to manage the various electrical systems that are supposed to be talking to one another too mm. and that's been you know since hypercar came in we had hybrid previously <coughs> in a different iteration but you know more reliant on on the hybrid technology these days and that's taken a lot of brain training I, I get the sense the sorry side of the 94 car up on the high stands now in the garage uh, in a fair state of undress because the car with no nose and a fair bit of the rear deck has been removed as well as Peugeot try and chase the issue there. They do still have a very strong bullet in the gun though in the form of the 93 car that is still yeah. running in second position and uh, only 20 odd seconds adrift of the Porsche. Well in some respects if there was going to be a car that had the problems JP that was the one to have it true um, yep. because that was the the less well placed yeah you'd sooner have uh, a car that has uh, been up against it from the off really when Paul De Resta spun at the first corner he had some contact which pitched that 9x8 into a slide and uh, they've been chasing the race ever since then whereas at the time the 93 Peugeot, which had been well qualified um, uh, yesterday. Nico Muller started that car, and we then had Stintron, uh, Mick Jensen, and latterly Jean Eric Verne, and it has been uh, on rails at times. They will be thinking again about what sort of setup, what car design they take to the Imola six hours, considering this has gone so well so far in this format, i.e., without the rear wing. But uh, a sorry situation for Paul De Resta, who actually got out yep. of that spin very rapidly indeed. He was punted into it, didn't really know which side was up coming out of the spin, but just leathered the throttle and uh, got going again. But that was the start, unfortunately, of um, the various difficulties for car number 94. Yeah, other than that, though, it's been a relatively good first half of the race in terms of the pace we've had some cracking racing in both of the classes with uh, pretty I think pretty much all of the manufacturers in GT having a go at the sharp end 
probably the surprise for most people of the first half of the race will be the pace of uh, of Peugeot. They have led on genuine pace, overtaking a Ferrari to get to the front of the field. Uh, yes, that's right. Overtaking a Ferrari to get to the front of the field. Uh, and the other half of that story is the relative lack of pace of Toyota, who have struggled. They've got one car in a point-scoring position at the moment. It's Kamui Kobayashi uh, in the number seven. Porsche have been at the front as well with both Porsche Penske Motorsport and Team Jota. EF Corsa uh, with their yellow car because both of the red cars had problems early on and I said they were going to have a trouble getting back to anything near a point scoring position and at the moment 16th for the 51 car but 9th for the 50 so they have managed to get into position. We did have to have a little uh, full course yellow to get a big piece of bodywork. The whole rear clip and the rear wing and part of the undertray came pinging off the back of James Collado's car, uh, which meant a long pit stop for that machine, and that's why that one hasn't been able to recover up the field. But other than that, JP, we've had entertainment, we've had plenty of side-by-side -side action and some proper racing. Yeah, within class, and class is overtaking other categories as well. So it's been a, a terrific feast of sports car action to this point. And I'm pleased that the championship's delivering after so many years of expectation and transitional se seasons and, you know, expecting to get to the next step. Finally, we kind of got there in 2023 and then add loads more hypercars and the new LMGT3 category. And we needed a, a highly enthralling, engaging race then to begin this new phase of the WEC and it has certainly delivered to this point uh, with a mixture of manufacturers certainly in LM GT3 Porsches from the various folds are involved as well but uh, to this point Ferrari won't like one bit that the customer car is actually beating the two um, more standard well, factory you know cars what? Maybe they don't care so much, but I mean that's also down to circumstance. In the you know the, the, the rear deck fell off one of the cars. Also, there was the penalty of getting into pit road, and uh, it gives the principally yellow and red Ferrari a chance to shine in that top five. Yeah, I, you know when I, when I talked to Ferdy Lacarito early in the week, he said, "Look, they're three Ferraris. We treat them as three Ferraris. They're getting Ferraris apart because they need to because the cars are so complex. Um, all the data is going into the same area." James Collado said the same. He said, "We are nine drivers, not six." And I, I thought that was quite interesting. Uh, they'll be happy to get a car up there. I'm absolutely sure. Side by side action down at the first corner. It's Alpine versus Proton Porsche so that is Proton competition that's 11th and 12th position that was being fought over there with Julian Andlauer going past uh, Mathieu Vaxvier actually 10th and 11th excuse me so that is a point there for Andlauer uh, let's uh, Head down to the pit lane. We're going to go and speak to a man who's won four times here across his career. Valentino Rossi down in the 46 BMW pit.
Valentino Rossi, welcome to WEC. And how was that stint? Yes, it was, uh, was my debut, so I was uh, quite excited. Uh, I feel good, uh, uh, especially in the first stint, I was, uh, I was uh, fast. And uh, I keep a good pace, and I feel good with the car. Uh, in the second stint, uh, it's a little bit more difficult because um, the track is very different compared to yesterday because I have a lot of rubber, a lot of grip, so you stress a bit more the tire. So in the second stint, it was a little bit more difficult, more tricky. And uh, for some reason, I have always a bit more uh, traffic. And uh, so the condition of the track is, uh, is always uh, in evolution. If you go a little bit out of the line, have a lot of dirt, so it's difficult. But I enjoy. Uh, we are in the top five now. Uh, we want to try to fight for, uh, for the podium, but uh, looks like at this moment we are not uh, strong enough. But uh, we try to arrive in the top five. You've been working with this team for quite some time now, racing with them in other, in other championships. But, so how is it to come here now? How, is it as you expected on track? Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, it's, a, it's an evolution from, uh, from last year. It's a world championship, so I'm very happy, very proud to be here for BMW with the factory car. And uh, it's different mainly because uh, you have uh, to control all uh, the hypercar that arrive very fast. But it's a great pleasure to share the track with uh, these names, these drivers, and uh, I enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Ciao. Tremendous character, we oh, need not great, say, yeah. but I just love the f still his enthusiasm and his determination to get to the bottom of what these problems are or the, mm. the various difficulties. He enjoys trying to solve the puzzle, essentially, and he's yeah. very, very fast. Yeah, I, I, think that's a, I think that's a good way of describing it, solving the, puz the puzzle. Um, very much so. Uh, uh, I, I, I know that there's one or two of you struggling at the moment with the timing uh, on the uh, livefia.com uh, site so we will try to keep you a little bit more updated than we normally do let's head onto the track for Cadillac's team radio the Ferrari behind will need to stop one time more than us we're racing the cars in front we're racing the three cars in front and you're catching them that's interesting JP isn't it that's Earl Bamba being told right Obviously, you, you want to slow him down, but don't don't be daft because he's got one more stop than us. So we're not racing this guy really. Just keep on keep on trucking and do your own thing. There's a lot to be said for that. I think you know try and minimise the variables as much as possible because the team can keep tabs on what's going on with their car as well. If you start to react too much about what's going on around you, then you can very lose very quickly lose control mm. of your. Day. I was going to say afternoon, <coughs> excuse me, but it's a lot more than that. Morning, afternoon, evening, racing till nine o'clock tonight. So, yes, they've struggled, Corvette, uh, Cadillac, I should say, and not through their own making because they, although that was NFA, it did seem that Alex Lynn got a bit of a shove at the first corner on the opening lap, which then put the front of the Corvette into a car alongside and uh, that developed into big damage on the front of that car. We, we wondered why on earth. The caddy was down in something like 15th position, but they'd had some really sticky laps during the opening stint, pretty much. So there's a big squirm then from the number 50 Ferrari, tucked in behind the Cadillac as it was coming out of one of the medium-speed corners and onto, in places, what is a very wide kerb, serrated in places, but um, you, you can use the kerb as part of the racetrack just as long as you keep at least two tyres the correct side of the white line 
But yeah, rather than the chasing car, the chaser being the major threat, actually it was the chasing car, the Ferrari making the slight mistake there mm. on the Cadillac in eighth position of Earl Bamba. I want to go through a couple of penalties again, keeping everybody up to date. I know there's been a little bit of a problem with the, the website. Iron Dames have got a drive-through penalty, not respecting full course uh, yellow procedures. That came in a couple of minutes ago. 30-second stop and go for abusing track limits. This is for the number 81 TF Sport car. That's not the first time they've been pulled for that both of their cars have had a, a drive-through already that's going to ramp up really quickly if they keep doing that the um that was the third time for abusing track limits for um tom van rompuy on that car the pit stop of the number 95 car is under investigation that's uh, united autosports lm gt3 evo mclaren the Josh Kirkill car that was about uh, half an hour ago and there's a number of other cars under investigation for full course yellows other than that Iron Dames one including uh, the number 78 uh, which that would be the Ecodis car and what's the other one uh, that I just saw 87 which is oh both Ecodis cars okay then uh, Marco Sorensen has finally got into the 777 D-Station Aston. And so expect to see that car going. This all part of the strategy. That there's nothing... They weren't, you know, penalising him and not letting him get in there. Uh, and uh, as we have about five minutes or so before our next update, I am delighted to welcome uh, to our broadcast position here in the media centre... Man at, uh, I, I used to say you had a friend in the trade. If you had a friend in the car trade or the, or the travel trade, we've got a friend in the technical trade here with Thierry Bouvet. Hello, Thierry. How are you, Sava? Hello. Good afternoon. Good to see you again, and good to hear your voice here on Radio Show Limited and our live coverage from the WEC again this season. Um, we like to ask you questions so that you can make our lives easier and make the un the, the listener understand. Um, and that there's been um, not really any changes in what you do with BOP. It's still what comes out at the end that you talked about with me about this time last year at, at Sebring. But you've been refining things. First of all, let's talk about the refinements to the language in the BOP for hypercar. Because there's a number of different categories that can be... Uh, used to balance that performance and you've you've given them specific titles now yes correct yeah we try to give better name uh, such as people can better understand what we are doing currently um, the first one being uh, homologation parameters which are linked to the homologation process we're talking about wind tunnel we are talking about uh, center of gravity height and so on so that's the first stage of the of the shuttle let's say uh, homologation parameter the second stage is called uh, equivalence of platform. Uh, we used to call it platform BOP, but uh, we feel it's a, it's a better name, equivalence of platform. That's between the best LMH and the best LMDH car. Okay, right. And the last one is uh, manufacturer compensation. So it's to, for each manufacturer individually. That's the sound you hear in the background is Porsche Penske Motorsport and Fred McAvecki popping into the pit lane, getting 
some new Michelins and popping out again. And we're keeping an eye on that. Jerry Bouvier, uh with us here in uh, at Lisale. Um There's also a new part of the table, which we haven't filled any numbers in yet for LMH, but we have for, um, for the LMGT3s. And this is um, a sub 200k and a more than 200k BOP. Now, that, to my uneducated eye, is about acceleration versus potential VMAX, top, top speed. What, is that right? And why do you feel the need to do it? That's exactly correct. I don't need to explain you anymore. No, but, well, <laughs> it can't be that simple, Thierry. What's the thinking behind it? Why have you had to enact this? What, what are you trying to achieve yeah. by it? So basically, before, we had two tools to play with, mainly the weight and power. And uh, to try to achieve the same top speed for all cars will have an impact on the weight. Uh, so we wanted to differentiate that. And with an additional tool, uh, which is, the, as you rightly described, the power for acceleration and the power for top speed, uh, we, we can better handle the, the weight situation. So that's, that's been introduced this year for LMGT3, and uh, it, it's really a good tool. Because in, in LMGT3, the car are a little bit more apart, uh, or let's say separated, in terms of aerodynamic compared to hypercar. Yeah. That's the reason why we went this road. And we act actually got good uh, results with that. So, uh, is is that going to be enacted in LMH as well? And and where are you getting that data from? We did some tests during Prologue here in Qatar, um, and uh, we discussed that uh, in length with, with the manufacturers, with hypercar manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are happy to go ahead with that, and that's probably a tool that uh, an additional tool that we will use for future r- races to. To, to be more accurate and uh, and avoid playing too much with weight. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, weight, I always think weight is um, not as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not as elegant a way of, of balance of performance. It works, but it affects so many other parameters of the car. Um, uh, and, and therefore, you are changing the performance envelope of the car by adding, particularly adding a lot of weight. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, which have other impacts. So, that's why by separating the power, it's yeah, it's really good tool. And then eventually we've got uh, aerodynamic as well, where we can play and li- limit the wing angles and stuff. But uh, so now we've got aerodynamic, power, acceleration, power, top speed and weight. So that's four levels mm. to be able to, let's say, um, adjust the speed profile between each each cars. Uh, and and it, and how often do you? expect or intend to have to make changes to any of these parameters whether it's sub 2 and plus 200 or whether it's any of the other tools would it be potentially every event could it be circuit specific how would it work it will be uh, circuit specific Uh, first of all lmgt3 it's a very first time we're using uh, this let's say updated a uh, very sophisticated process, uh, which we'll use in Hypercar now since a couple of years. So we've implemented torque meters this year in LMGT3. Mm. Very good tool also to be able to monitor the power output at the wheel. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, if we want to have car performance, it's really uh, track dependent. Because ah. uh, as an example, if you compare Qatar and Le Mans, uh, 
the length of the straight line, the corners are quite different. So we'll have to have slightly different figures for weight and power, but it doesn't mean that we are actually changing the BOP. We are adapting the BOP to the track characteristic. Right, okay. Does that... I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Does that not take away some of the variety that we're used to seeing in sports car racing, where a particular car might have, might be better around the twisty bits, another car might be better if there's long straights? No, it would still be present, of course, uh, but it's it's to help the equalisation between uh, due to track specification. And and so, are we aiming for every car making the same lap time in the same way here, or is there still? Um, is there still some uh, areas that teams and drivers can make a difference? No, we are trying to have the cars in a similar way, but the teams and the drivers and the tyre pressures, and the, it, it's still down to the engineers and the drivers at the end of the day. So we're not BOPing the, the human element no, of no. this? we don't want to do that. And we, we should also make a very important point is that what is happening in seven of the eight races will not necessarily affect the eighth race being Le Mans (laughs) it's a specific one as you know I was just explaining this uh, for the track characteristic Le Mans is very specific and it has to be kind of looked in a different manner Mm. and and where does that data come from do you still use some of the data that's been um, gathered in the first as it will be three races this season before Le Mans on, on some quite different tracks this is a quick track Spa's a quick track but we know when we go to Italy that's a, a little bit different are you using that or are you purely using data from Le Mans itself when we're at the test day so I spoke earlier with simulations so obviously all that is being uh, the results of the output of the simulations and obviously Le Mans as you would recall uh, drag is uh, has a very important uh, uh, let's say it's very important for, for Le Mans drag power uh, more than any other tracks so that's why the output will be different and, and it needs to be treated as a different track yes and yes I, and, and it's a very important race as well so you don't want people doing things or trying to do things this takes away the idea of manipulation we talked about this last year the mi- trying to manipulate your, your your results in the early part of the season to try and get an, an advantage uh, at Le Mans and, and that's very very important in a season with particularly so many cars in hypercar now where only the te- top 10 score points so um, it's really important to get the opportunity for everybody to compete that's because the way we analyse data it's simulation driven data driven rather than timing specific mm. where obviously it's sandba- if manufacturers competitors do sandbagging it will be translated into timing we do more uh, data driven uh, an- uh, analysis um, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask a question that's just come in from Tom Firth, one of our listeners who's tuned in at the moment, the, the power of technology nowadays. He said, how do you and the SEO and the FIA decide whether teams, manufacturers can have mid-season upgrades? We've heard Porsche have been um, talking about a, a new crankshaft um, for their engine, although I, I spoke to Urs Karatel uh, earlier on saying he probably wouldn't want to bring that in before Le Mans. But how do you decide whether that is an acceptable upgrade? Because that's that's something very technical that's you know that we don't see. It's inside the engine. Yeah, it's right. So when we had that's hypercar case. Uh, in hypercar, we gave a very specific calendar, and basically what we said is anything new 
must be brought to races before Le Mans. We don't want new staff arriving at Le Mans. Right. So that's the, the calendar is clear. It, it has been clear since six months or even even one year. So we want manufacturers to be able to plan correctly and, and we don't want to discover things at the last minute. Right. So if that isn't on the car at the next race, in fact, whatever it is, we're talking specifically about Porsche, but it could be any of the hypercar manufacturers. If it's not on the car at the next race, then it wouldn't be allowed for Le Mans. Correct. Okay. Well, that's, that's, that's dead easy uh, and dead simple. Um, you've got quite a lot of new manufacturers here, both in hypercar and in... Uh, Le Mans GT3 how's the process been with them um, have they had to go through exactly the same process of uh, of last year's uh, manufacturers went through in terms of the, the wind tunnel and, and all the benchmarking of performance or has everybody had to go and do it again this year you're speaking of hypercar or MG3 well both actually yeah uh, well hypercar if people came are uh, the same car last year we don't need to repeat the wind tunnel test but obviously, LMGT3, we went to it. We wanted to characterize all the cars yeah. present in Wake this year. So it's, uh, you can imagine, nine manufacturers. It's roughly to give uh, an idea, uh, wind tunnel test. We're talking kind of two to three days of preparation, one day, one full day in the wind tunnel, and two to three days post wind tunnel, too. So it's roughly a week. A week per, per manufacturer? Per car, yeah. So that, so that was more than two months just to do the manufacturing. Yes. Our guys were quite busy. <laughs> quite <laughs> busy. They, they, saw, they saw a lot, lot of time in the wind tunnel. In uh, It's the, is it the Hin, Hinwell tunnel that you guys use at uh, Sauber? Yeah. Okay. So they spent a lot of time in Switzerland then. Okay. Um, what else is coming um, that, that we might need to know about? And, and we're talking about these slight changes and the change of nomenclature, etc. the naming changes. Um, but you, you're not saying that the original process and concept uh, was broken. This, no. is, this, this is just refinement? Refinement, improved uh, with experience, and also it's, we've got one year worth of data. Yeah. So that brings a lot also. And, and is it purely the data that you garner that you use? Because some of these cars, of course, are running in IMSA. They're gathering... Their old data. Are you still talking to the guys over there? We are. Uh, ah. Our performance guys got uh, weekly meetings. Uh, it's really a strong group altogether. So it's really nice to see that working uh, across SEO, FIA, and IMSA. Uh, so yes, we're exchanging data, and it's really good. Uh, and and what's the? You've got in some ways the best job or the worst job in the world because you're either everybody's friend or everybody's enemy and I think I said to you last year if you're everybody's enemy you probably think you're doing your job job properly because you don't want just one manufacturer to be you be your friend but what's from your point of view what's your interaction with the different manufacturers being both in hypercar and in GT does it does it seem that everybody understands and they and they are still I remember the cooperation we had for LMDH and for hypercar from the manufacturers I've never seen anything like that before in all my years of racing do they still understand why this is important imperative some people might say to give us uh, a championship that has this kind of competition they basically see the value of what we're doing uh, we are we've got technical working group with them on a frequent basis and uh, as I said, the process in it we use LMG, LMGT3 is a kind of similar process to hypercar, maybe slightly reduced, uh, mm-hmm. slightly lighter, 
but more or less it's a it's a proven concept let's say mm. uh, and but nobody's done it in gt3 before no but it's it's it it's a whole new level it's a it's a very good value yes yeah. it's a whole new yeah, level exactly. and it, we talked about this being empirical about it being data driven it's not somebody making a um uh, a value judgment based on well that car was a little bit quicker here and a little bit slower there everything has to be it's data driven driven yes. by the data yeah, yeah are you happy yes it's a good race and it's a good <laughs> See, uh, do, do you um, look at this and go uh, hey uh, we did a good job <laughs> thank you very much I would say we've got now we've gone through the hot part of the race mm -hmm. now we're going to the cooler part of the race and things might change how do you in the balance of performance and the and the, the performance envelope, how do you account for things like that for for quite big changes in temperature, particularly when we get to the the night at Le Mans, for example? Well, that's also a part that, at the end of the day, is down to the team to optimize uh, their car to the best period of of, of the race. Uh, we don't want to let or to remove them from from the team. So, team's operation. It's it's we feel it's quite important. BOP cannot do everything. No. But, and it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be. Um, what well BOP brings, as we know, for hypercar is clearly cutting cost quite a lot. Yeah. That's uh, a big, big thing. Now, people will ask you why, but it's quite simple. There's no point in people trying to develop and continue to sharpen the razor blade. They have what they have. You've got to make the best of what you have. And the better you are at getting as close to 100% of your performance, the better you'll do in the race. Exactly, yeah. See, that's a concept that I think is really simple. Difficult to achieve, but really simple. Thierry, thank you very much for being with us. Thank uh, you. If you don't mind, we'll have a chat with you as well when we get a little bit closer to Le Mans. Is that all right? Yes. We're Thierry, good. Thank you. Thank you And thank much. you for giving us such a great race. Thank you. <laughs> Thierry Bouvet with us the here. Live. updates. Getting you to your Let's Go moments for over 100 years. We've had five hours and exactly 40 minutes of this year's Qatar 18-12 kilometers, the first ever, in fact, that uh, maybe 10 hours, it might reach the distance. We're still not quite sure about that, but good to keep us guessing with over four hours still to go. 191 laps completed for the number six Porsche 963 from Penske Motorsport. That's Andre Lotre doing the driving there. The car that was doing the chasing until very recently has just dived into the pits, though, for Jean-Éric Verne in the Peugeot Total Energy's 9X8. So this is the Peugeot's sixth pit stop for Jean-Éric Verne, and there will be a driver change there as well. Nico Muller, in fact, getting back on board after he did a, such a splendid job at the start of the race in Peugeot number 93. Third position... Getting better all the time for Toyota fans. Running now in third for Kamui Kobayashi, car number seven, the GR010 hybrid. And in fourth position, it's the second of the Porsche Penske Motorsport 963s in the hands of Michael Christensen, car number five, running fourth. Ahead of the Hertz Team Jota 963 of Will Stevens, car 12. Sixth place is the number two Cadillac of Earl Bamba. And seventh, the th number 36, Alpine A424 for Mathieu Vaxivier. Paulette Chatin slots in behind in eighth position. That's courtesy of a pit stop for Phil Hansen, which looks like it's dropped the 38 car down a couple of spots, down to tenth. And in between those two Alpines, 
and the Hertz Team Joe to 963 is the best of the BMWs from Team WRT. The first of the M Hybrid V8s for Sheldon van der Linde, number 20, running in ninth position. The second of those cars, by the way, is still in 15th spot. The top six in LMGT3 look like this. Klaus Backler for Manti Pure Racing. They've been in the lead of that race for a long period of time now. I think took it, yeah, they did during the opening stint uh, when the number 92 car was being driven by Alex uh, Malikin. He was able to jump ahead of Tom van Rompuy, the pole sitter on the track. And since then, the 92 Porsche has not looked back. It's got the better part of a minute's lead over Thomas Fleur in the Ferrari 296 Vista AF Corsa, Ferrari number 54. Alex Riberes in the Aston Martin Vantage, part of racing team number 27 car. Then the 47 Team WRT, Maxime Martin, BMW M4 is in fourth. Ahead of the second AF Corsa Ferrari for Francois Herio, number 55. And the treble seven D-Station Racing Aston Martin makes it two vantages in the top six in LMGT3. Hourly updates brought to you by Hertz, getting you to your let's go moments for over 100 years. So we've reached the point where the hypercars will be cycling through. Some fascinating comments prior to our Hertz hourly update, John Hindoff, mm. from Thierry Bouvet. I think crucially about the fact that we were going to go into another phase of the race, i.e. in about an hour's time we'll be after official sunset and he was perhaps suggesting it will be a different race from that point on. Uh, and do you know what I love about talking to Thierry is, first of all, he's very smiley with us all the time. He doesn't mind answering questions from uh, the listener, as with Tom Firth, that just literally came in whilst he was sitting here. But it's absolutely clear when we talk to him, he's a race fan. He's a race fan. He was watching the race all... Now, it's his job. I understand that. And he's going, yeah, we've kind of got... John De Geese from Sportscar 365 uh, joined us. Um, what a what a cracking race we've had so far. Really interesting. Yeah, it's been really interesting to, to see the the strength of the Porsches up front, I, and I'm, and and see the Peugeot running in second. I'm I'm honestly surprised to see that this has a been a real relatively clean race, and and b the the you oh. had to say that. <laughs> so yeah, well, well we'll have to wait and see, but I I, I think. So far, from what we've seen, it has been a, a real strategic battle. Uh, JP, we've got the uh, we've got the lead uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing uh, GRO10 in. I say the lead; it is the one that is best placed for them in sixth position. We haven't been able to say that for a very long time, but but JP, this is this is a um, this is a factor. And a product of the fact that we've got 19 cars in the top class. Exactly. I think, you know, the first race of the season where we've got 19 cars in the top class and we still finished with the Toyota 1-2, that was going to be quite an ask because there are so many global manufacturers now trying to take on this giant of a Japanese mark. And they have had it, I won't say all their own way. You know, we've had some interesting uh, seasons where where the Alpine took a pole position, I remember, in that sort of transition season, and Ferrari win. won Le Mans. Al yeah, indeed. Al Alpine took a win at Sebring. At Sebring, it? yes, that's true. After the seven hours and 15 minutes of what was meant to be an eight-hour race, but nevertheless, <laughs> yes. they did take the victory. You're quite right. Ferrari won Le Mans last year. So, you know, this has been a, 
just it, it's not been a sudden jump from Toyota to Toyota to Toyota to all of a sudden other manufacturers. It's been a, a steady movement, and Toyota have been tracking that carefully. Now, you know, they convincingly won the manufacturer part of the championship and eventually the driver's championship last year, and it was really a fight between their two cars. But they have been saying, all the key people at Toyota have been saying, we want to be in this championship when... It, you know, we're entering a race and we might not be winners because that provides us with a real challenge then to, to try and right the situation. And they're not going to have it their own way by, for, by any stretch for this season. Um, can they get a win before Le Mans would be uh, the first mm. question. Uh, pit stop for the leading car, uh, which has uh, once again, Andre Lotter bringing that car in and it's Lawrence Vantor is it they've got in yes it is and again they've managed to do that changeover without losing the lead because they're going that little bit longer than the Peugeot they've both in fact the top four cars have now done six uh, pits pit stops I can't decide John de Geese what would be the biggest story here an LMDH in the shape of Porsche Penske Motorsport winning or Peugeot winning with their concept of car that has all but been written off uh, for this for the rest of this season. Where's yeah. the biggest story? I don't know. It, that's a really good question because this is going to be the, the 9x8's final race in its current format. We're going to be seeing a, a revised version of that debuting at Imola next the next round. Um, and the increased performance here, the better performance here, won't you? You don't believe that will change their mind? What the, well, to the team? It doesn't sound like it. Um, at least right now you know of course if they go out and win it then he sort of do does beg the question do you hold on maybe through post Lama to debut it the de- debut the new package just because you know Lama is going to be a very good track for this wingless concept here so then so uh, is Monza so then how far through the season do you get exactly but uh, going back to your original question this has been an extremely impressive run by Porsche um, we saw them top the time charts and in almost all of the sessions, I think all bar one, and um, they've really put on a on, on a show uh, so far. Um, and uh, Cadillac have, again have been there or thereabouts, but they just haven't quite had the look. A couple of things have been going wrong. They've maybe not quite got the tyre life as well. But what are the Alpines in the top six at the moment? And you were talking to the team earlier this week. I think it was you. It might have been Davy, and, and they were saying. Look, we aim to be the best of the new cars. So they would, when they say that, they mean um, between Lamborghini, the BMW, and the Isotta Fraschini. And to be ahead of, of the BMWs, I thought, was a, was a pretty tough ask for them to do that. But right at the moment, that they're achieving that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, if, I would have put my money on BMW heading into the weekend, considering the experience and an expertise from that car racing in IMSA for the past year, but um, so far it looks like Alpine has a bit of an edge over over the new over over the other newcomers. That said, we were spot speaking with Andreas Roos and with Vincent Voss uh, yesterday evening about the performance of the car, and they have absolutely said, "Look, we know this is our first year. We are not going to come and pull up trees the first year." We've, we've got a lot to do. We're still learning the car. Yeah, and, and, and just like what Thierry was, was talking about with you earlier in, in the broadcast, you know, 
cars are balanced in, in different ways now for in the revision of the, the process where if you're a little bit slower it may take a little longer to to get up to the the levels of the other cars so i think the new cars are maybe taking have a little conservative approach in the bop um and and we'll see those come online in the, in the races to come let's have a quick word about lmgt3 debuting in the championship vista af corsa who i think were pretty much the last people to get the cars out of out of the containers along with WRT, um, at least one of their cars. Um, they pulled all night is to get the going. They've been at the sharp end of the field. They'll be delighted with that. Uh, Manti would kind of expect that. And in fact, just coming in from the lead, Klaus Backler's been held back. But looking down there, there's a decent spread of, of manufacturers in there. It's been tough for Corvette. It's been tough for Ford as well to get on there. Some of that self-inflicted, particularly by the TF Sport guys, who've had rather too many penalties um, to take them out of it. But generally speaking, you're happy with what you've seen with GT3 so far? So far, so good. Um, and I, I think it's really down to the, the seasoned veterans with GT3 machinery at, that, that have done it in other championships that are up front. You look at Manthai um, coming off the big victory at the Bathurst 12-hour just a few weeks, uh, two, less than two weeks ago. Um, if AF Corsa has so much experience with the 296 as well. And then Heart of Racing's um, been in IMSA for all these years. John, thanks very much. Keep up the date on Sportscar 365. Here's John Eric Verne in the pits. John Eric, the gap is now down to you. You've made a 10-second gain on the leader, so it's been super tight, super good two double stints from you, and now only 15 seconds, and it's catching. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been good. I mean, it's good to uh, to fight in the front of the field. It uh, it feels really nice uh, to get the blue flag and uh, not to receive them for once. Um, I'm very happy. I mean the. You know, the team uh, is doing a fantastic job, no mistake. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Porsche definitely quicker than us. So, you know, that, that we are able to uh, to stay there and, uh, you know, fight with them at this level is uh, pretty impressive. So I hope we can, uh, you know, hold like this until the end of the race. But uh, Nico and Mikel, they're also, uh, you know, they're on fire today. So yeah, it should be good. You know, if uh, we end up on the podium at the end, it would be a fantastic result. But hopefully we can give Porsche a bit of a hard time. 140 laps to go. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jean-Éric Vern chatting to Bruce Joanny in the pits and a grin there from both Frenchmen, in fact, but particularly from Jean-Éric Vern because I think he Why feels not? like the well, they, they feels like the Peugeot's in a very good spot. They, the problem is they don't have the weight in numbers as the, the Porsches have around them. Although, you know, their best, best placed car, the 93, by far now, because the 94 spent a long, long time in the garage, it's only 15 seconds away from Laurence Vantor, and we've had nearly six hours of this race now. So we're getting to those uh, latter hours. I think once we get into the, side, the final two hours, then they can start to really believe that the big points haul is on offer. Even if they finish in second place, that's more oh, than you would get for a win in the next round at Imola, for instance. That's a really good point that you make there. And I guarantee you, if I'd gone up to Porsche at the prologue, Porsche, to Peugeot at the prologue and said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you both, uh, give you one of your cars score and points. Mm, so one car in the top ten. Yeah, but it's going to be second. I think they'd have snatched my hand off and come back for the socket. I mean, just no doubt about that at all. This has been a, a real, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A validation of the concept. It's a smooth, fast track. And we're talking to John de Geese there. 
you'd be a brave project director at Peugeot Sport now to say, uh, I tell you what, we're going to throw this in the bin now. <laughs> um, you know, and and you know, we might not be there at the next round, which is a more tight and twisty trap. But then we've got Spa, and we've got the run up to Le Mans, both tracks where the car should and has worked well, but with a, a more um, a, a more level playing field, we could be piling up the points. Whereas you, you change the rear tyre size, you've changed the underfloor, you've changed the balance of the floor of uh, the car completely for weight and centre of pressure, and the whole aerodynamic uh, concept of the car changes. Um, yes, they'll have tested it, but mm, that's like winning five nil on a Saturday and on the Tuesday night game. That's really important. Turn around and say, uh, we, we're going to put the under 21s in instead." That's. I, I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to do that, would you? Certainly not. I mean, you know, it, it, you've got to concentrate on the, the very important races and, and where, you know, you, you stand to gain the most, in both in learning but also mm. in championship positions as well. And um, after the start that they had, remember they came in partway through... 2022 I think it was their first race was yep. at Monza in 2022 so and the idea behind that was to try and get a full year before then entering Le Mans in 23 a race that they led and they looked very strong during the hours that were wet uh, and I think again that the, the aerodynamic design of that car really did lend itself to the conditions at, at, at the time but that was on the Saturday and it kind of spiraled out of control on the Sunday, side-by-side side in LMGT3 between the 27, Aston Martin from the heart of racing, diving up the inside there for the lead of the race, actually. Mm-hmm. So that was to overtake the 57, Vista AF Corsa Ferrari. And uh, heart of racing now leading LMGT3. So a, a last-ditch manoeuvre there from Alex Riberas on Thomas Floor. So you've got the 27... Uh, gold-rated driver on Thomas Floor, who's back in again to finish up his bronze time. And Vista A, of course, are approaching things a little differently, therefore, from others that have done all the bronze time right at the start. But nevertheless, uh, Ribas had to be relatively forceful with that to make his intentions felt, and he is starting to open up the gap, as you would expect. I think it helps when you've got your bronze driver who's so experienced, like Ian James, where you can actually plug him in at pretty much any part of the race, including in the rough and tumble at the start. And he'll more than hold his own against what's out there, whether it's bronze, silver or gold. And that gives you so much flexibility. And Heart of Racing have really exploited that. And I mean that in a good way. I'm not at at all saying that that's anything bad. They know where their strengths are and they've, they've played towards them. And that's what you've got to do because we are talking... And here's that phrase again. We are talking about the one percenters, aren't we? It's as as simple as that. And in particularly in these longer races, this has been been half a second here, two tenths there, another tenth here. And that's what's making the difference to where the big points halls are going in this race, in in both of the categories, Johnny. Yeah, it's just minuscule moments that can then through the butterfly effect uh, become absolutely huge by by the end of it and you know we sp- we saw yesterday that there were fairly big gaps between some of the bronze 
top-rated drivers. I look crucially at the eight-tenths of a second that separated Tom oh. Van Rompuy from uh, the, the next nearest in uh, Hyperpole yesterday, which was Alex Malikin. Uh, but we always knew that that gap wasn't going to be a reality come the 10-hour race because of you know, so many variables. They've got to occupy the same bit of track particularly in the early couple of hours of the race. And then it's about how quickly you can turn them around, turn each car around in the pit stops, keep them out of the pits for as much as possible and be as efficient as you can when you're switching drivers and changing tyres. So uh, that's what we love about these, these races. They're so, you know, you've got the element of Saturday, which is single lap speed, but it's an entirely different ball game when you get to this phase of the weekend. I know there's been problems for one of the TF cars. That was the driveline issue, the gear selection issue, wasn't it? But I don't think uh, TF, Tom Furrier, is going to be very happy with um, drive-through penalties, stop and holds, because you do not get that time back. That is that is dead time. You work really hard to make three or four seconds, um, and, and then you throw away... Even a drive-through, you're throwing away the better part of 20-odd seconds on the track, probably more than that. And I don't think Tom will be very happy with that. We're back through to the top teams coming in. Cadillac, now, are they the last or the first? I, remember, hmm. they were talking to Earl Bamber about saying, we're doing one pit stop fewer than the cars that were around him. And that might yet play out for them because they keep cycling towards a podium position, JP, but then having to make their stop. What have we got left now? Ooh, they're just coming up to an hour. So in, in terms of what's left, there's four hours to go. Is that just three more pit stops? Because if it is, they're in a pretty good shape. Yeah, but that relies on the Cadillac being able to do 60-odd minutes on a fuel load, and I don't think anyone's got close to that yet. So it is going to be... There's going to be four stops, but the last one might be able to be very quick indeed to get the car back into the race. That's the sixth stop for Alex Lynn, so actually brings him equal now to everyone else in front of him on the uh, of the race. Miguel Molina's an extra stop to his name because, remember, that car had to take a drive-through, the number 50 Ferrari, after it breached the blend line on one of the uh, pit stops early on. So uh, I think that brings that Cadillac now to a more reasonable position a more accurate position as in ninth spot so yes they've broken into the top 10 there's a bit more to try and find in terms of pace across a stint to get it into the top six and the really useful points paying positions there are increased points on this race as there will be for the eight hours of Bahrain at the end of the year this considered to be one of those middle distance races eight to ten hours or indeed, I think it's still possible, might well be the race distance of 335 laps. I look up at the uh, some of the graphics we're being fed and it's still showing lap 202 of 335 as the potential. So we are still governed by distance rather than time as things go. Exactly five o'clock at the Qatar venue, the Lusale International Circuit for the first ever 18-12 kilometres uh, of Qatar the opening round of the FIA World Endurance Championship for 2024. It's Johnny Palmer, John Hindoff and Bruce Jones in the Global Broadcast Centre. We'll be hearing lots more from John Hindoff in a little while, but we can welcome back Bruce Jones then to uh, still a busy race, but thankfully we've managed to stay away from those nasty things that are full-course yellows. We had two of those to date. 
No reason as yet, though, to uh, slow the, the race pace any more than that so far. Yeah, we don't want anything else to break the flow. Just coming back in a little after a little stand down and some coffee and obviously some sandwiches and a barrel of beef and a bucket of lard. Um, didn't have time for any more, unfortunately. Um, just fantastic battling in the GT3 class. It's been a, a real, real eye-opener this weekend. You know, 18 cars came out to play. Looking for, it's not the lead, that's Heart of Racing Team Aston Martin, it, but in behind, you've got Klaus Bachler, Thomas Floor, and just a little distance further back, uh, Francois Herio. So you've got uh, Aston Martin needing Porsche, fighting within quarter of a second of Thomas Floor in the, the better place, those Vista AF course Ferraris, so about half a second between the pair. Great stuff. The right side are quite uh, on the limit. Copy, understood. You think the right-hand side can survive uh, one more uh, stint after the after this? It's a bit early, but... Yes, the main problem is the pressure. Copy, copy. So the question being asked to Robert Kubica, who is behind the wheel of the number 83 Ferrari in seventh position. Ferrari hypercar, that is. Do you think the right-side tyres can last another stint at the end of this and he said yes in terms of tyre wear but uh, got to check the pressures well they can be adjusted if necessary during the pit stop but um, it's far quicker to just change the tyres um, so it's going to be a toss-up between you know exactly what they want to do um, left side tyres have been generally the order of the day because they take more of the punishment but of course once you've changed the left side tyres in one pit stop then Generally speaking, you'd change all four next time around or at least change the right side to even things up. Yeah, I was going to say, after about three hours, we started to see some right side only changes, which obviously was in response to the left the previous time around, uh, the previous pit stop around. Again, just looking, when I, when I nipped away, the number six uh, Porsche was leading the race by about 22 seconds, and it's come down to 12 seconds now. So Nico Muller just picking it off. Actually, last lap was a much slower lap for Nico. Um, but I think it's remarkable. We, you were just talking to John before I came back in saying that uh, Peugeot dipped their toe in the pond in Monza in 2022, did the whole of uh, the 23 season. In fact, their, their best result to date is third place at Monza 12 months after their debut. And here we are. They are currently second. Will they stay there? They've actually closed in a little bit more on, that, on the last timing sector. The gap back to third place is 20 seconds to the second of the Porsche Penske Motorsports 963. That's Michael Christensen. But, of course, Christensen's car, number five, is the one that's out of kilter. It had that uh, very early second pit stop. So, again, we have to adjust and adapt through the remainder of this race. Good to see. When I went uh, nipped nip out of the studio, the 91 Porsche was in the, in the pit garage, the Manti EMA car, and that was the one that was going to have uh, a penalty at its next... Uh, driver change for, for contact with the 83 Schwarzman Ferrari, but it's good to see that's still going. In fact, is every car in the race still circulating? Is Sotto Fraschini not so much, or is it out on the track? I'm just trying to say, oh, no, it's retired. One retirement out of 37 starters, and we've uh, almost got six hours under our belt. Well, that's very good. In fact, we have got six hours under our belt. Of newly built cars for this opener of the championship that is so impressive the ford mustang has had its problems particularly the 77 but weirdly it's the 77 that leads the 88 in 10th and 11th places within class the two lexus continue to pound rounds the codis asp team with their entries that are at 12th and the other one's further up the order is it? no big one is in 18th position so uh yeah and currently in the pit lane so Takeshi Kimura has just brought that in 
Richard Leeds uh, leaves the pit lane in the number 91 Porsche, a car that was right up there with the sister machine, number 92, until fairly recently, but they've had some difficulties to drop it right down to the tail end of LMGT3. And when Takeshi Kimura gets out of the uh, less well-placed uh, Lexus, is the one that's uh, bringing up the rear of the 36 remaining runners. He doesn't just get to the back of the pit garage. He's being invited to go and speak to people who are officials, the race director, after his stint. So uh, clearly something he's done along the route is worthy of discussion. But anyhow, it's, I think it's great to have Lexus in the championship and oh, yeah. um, see how they pick it up through the course of the season. But, you know, the first hour of this race in particular, Johnny, just looking at the, the comments on, on Twitter in the Twitter sphere and other social media channels are apparently available. Um, of course, it's not called Twitter anymore, is it? Uh, it was so positive, the comments. How could it not be? Brilliant, brilliant fighting with a packed hypercar field. Repeat that formula uh, in LMGT3. So I think uh, it really has been good. But, but to me in particular, it's the diversity in, LM, in LMGT3. There we have we've got eight, nine manufacturers across the 18 cars. It really is absolutely cracking. I think that's going to really be a, a great, great season in GT3. Yeah, and uh, looking at the top four manufacturers, they're all different. Aston, Porsche, Ferrari, BMW, and then the first repeat we get is in fifth place with the second of the WRT M4s. Uh, Lamborghini Huracan running in eighth place. It's the Iron Dames that is outpacing the Iron Lynx example for the time being. And the best Corvette, I think this race promised a bit more than ninth position for the best of the TF Sport cars right now, considering that took pole position yesterday. But as John Hindhoff was mentioning, various penalties and avoidable penalties as well have somewhat held back TF Sport. So perhaps something for drivers to learn from between now and the next round in, what, six weeks' time in Italy. I, th I think Tom Ferrier, hard taskmaster as he is, will have the drivers back here at midday tomorrow to do a track run. <laughs> as punishment. Absolutely so. Yeah. Barefoot. Well. <laughs> right over that gravel, which gets increasingly worse at turn nine, it appears. And uh, there are the odds of wheel track marks through the stones to indicate that one or two have straight-lined turn nine rather than turning just very slightly right. But it's a fast right-hander there. And then you need to get the car well over to the right-hand side of the circuit to be on the correct line through the tight left-hander at turn 10, which is where Laurence Vantour is now as the race leader. And that gap comes down again to 10.3 seconds, keeping an, an eagle eye on the average lap times. Laurence's average after 12 laps, 1 minute 44, whereas Nico Muller, 143.7, having done more laps as well, three more than the Porsche. So that's where the pace is being found. It's that consistency and bringing the average lap time down and down. Now, sometimes you just catch a shot and it, it, it just sort of makes you pay attention. The Lamborghini, the Iron Lynx entry in the hypercar class, car number 63, Danny Kvyat, he's running 17th out of the uh, 18 cars remaining in that top class. Don't forget, uh, Yisota Fraschini has been parked up, so they started as 19 runners in hypercar. They're down to 18, but running in 17th. Kvyat, his lap time wasn't awful. In fact, he just put in a better one. A one minute... F Sorry, he hasn't wrong column one minute 44 he's slower than his rivals he just looked a whole lot slower than that down the start finish straight so i'm waiting for the next timing interval i think there's a problem for that number 63 lamborghini of course making its uh, world championship debut here at the top of the pile that is the world endurance championship daniel kviat yeah we'll keep an eye on that um whether those issues continue to send the 
the pace of the car in the wrong direction. I mean, it could well be, Johnny, that it was, it was coming down towards turn one. There were a couple of cars. He's, he's now three laps down in class. Maybe he was just simply keeping out of the way, but the other two just came past super easily. But yeah. then again, if you've got a problem and you, your ambition is to finish this race, they may, he may well just be nursing the car to get through this final four hours. I think nursing the Ford Mustang were Proton competition for a little while. The number 77 car that's just been brought into the pit lane. Ben Barker's hustled that car back into, well, last time I looked, it was seventh or eighth. It's dropped down the order now because of its latest pit stop and will fall behind the sister Mustang LMGT3 of Dennis Olsen. Timur Boguslavski rather getting ahead as well in the Akodis. ASP team Lexus number 78 so Ben Barker getting out and probably Ryan Hardwick spending a bit more time behind the wheel feels like Zachary Robichon has done well certainly two stints possibly the three that he is required now from him now a short few minutes ago you were talking about uh, almost wheel tracks through the gravel at turn nine well that's precisely where Alex Lynn went he got very very close to the red and white uh, BMW in the GT3 class, that's the one in the hands of Augusto Farfus. If there wasn't contact, there could have been almost nothing in it. And I don't know how they avoided each other, but then the moment for the Cadillac was suddenly spearing out to, um, you know, <laughs> the rallycross section of the circuit. Got it back together, but um, mm, that was a moment. Discussions being had at Manti regarding the, the Bend-sponsored 91 Porsche, which has been in the garage now for... A good portion of time, they're all assembled and having a discussion, leaning on the rear wing of this car, attempting to keep Ricard Leitz cool, but uh, they're not just leaning on the rear wing. That is where the centre of attention is, around the uh, engine bay itself. Remember, now that we've gone into the GT3 version of the Porsche GT3R, then the engine is in a far more traditional place on a Porsche unlike the GTE car that is no more, which uh, was a turned out to be a mid-engine car, mid-engine Porsche, but the, the engine hanging out rearward of the rear axle. And that is... Well, I wonder whether they know entirely what they're trying to sort out there. Many questions being asked. So one Lexus in the pit lane for a lengthy period. The Manti EMR, EMA Porsche number 91 is there as well. We could be down to only 34 runners in the not-too-distant future. Well, John Hindhoff, never sitting on his hands. He's went, he went straight down when he came out, came out of the, um, broadcast, uh, the media centre to talk to Isotta Fraschini about their car. Yes, it is a retirement, he says. Front-right suspension, as uh, we identified, and they haven't seen this before. They feel it needs investigating and fixing uh, properly back at base rather than trying to do it here. However, very happy with the progress made by three young drivers who hadn't even tested the car before this week so yes very very steep mountain and uh, certainly the the pace differential that obviously was greatest in qualifying they were th about three seconds off there but uh, actually slightly more but in the race their fastest lap uh, was uh, far less than that the gap was uh, certainly a lot closer but learning as they go but uh, no disgrace there so Antonio Cerevalli was the driver who retired that car to the pit garage and uh, certainly the metaphorical garage door has been closed yeah, that's a shame, but uh, they will be even more hungry to come back at their home race, of course, in a few weeks' time and uh, have will have learned an awful lot, not just the engineers and the mechanics that look after that car, but also the three drivers, three young drivers. Uh, Jean-Carl Vianney, though, uh, with past experience with brands like Audi, 
So he will be the one that they'll be talking to a great deal. The, uh, the relatively new drivers, certainly brand new to the World Endurance Championship, Carl Bennett and Antonio Saraval. You know, well, one of the hard, hard things there, of course, and one thing that gets forgotten is there was supposed to be a completely different driver lineup for that car yes. at the, the launch. And so these, these, these uh, guys were, were brought in late on. And Jean-Claude Vernet is the oldest of those drivers by uh, some sort of 13 years or so. But uh, he will be the, the wise head in that garage. But uh, the rest is in the hands of the Duquesne team. But again and again, you know, you learn so much more if you've got two cars. But right now they're just concentrating on trying to run one. Let's see how they fare when they get, as you say, to their home patch at Imola in Italy. I just cannot wait for that round. It's going to be fantastic. And all the space they had to play here around uh, the circuits, the, what we used to call Lausale, and then recently they decided it was Lucelle, the Lucelle International Circuit. You know, I think it would have found a lot of fans this weekend, but what really, really strikes me, Johnny, you can get close, you can be faster, but you've got to choose your moment very carefully here. You've commented quite a few times about the gravel on the exit of Turn 9. You run wide. You're going to run a whole lot wider. You're going to be way, way off the track. It's dusty enough at the edge. There's now quite a lot of um, tyre build-up as well mm. on the outer side. View is brilliant. The sky is turning pink. The sun is dropping. But really, to finish this point, there is so much width just in the racing circuit. And then out beyond, you've got lots of runoff areas. All looks very pretty, all painted. And uh, as John Hindoff was saying uh, through the course of the prologue, they are just constantly doing things to make the circuit just look even more impressive. Great big floodlights on huge stanchions around the circuit. And they're going to have to come on really pretty soon because when the sun goes down, it plummets like a stone. So it's not a long northern hemisphere or southern hemisphere winter, you know, summer sunset. This is a, a quick drop into the desert beyond. But right now, we're just getting that change of the light. Three and uh, three-quarter hours remain. It's still... Porsche Penske Motorsport leading the way. It's still Peugeot giving chase. Yes, Peugeot in second place, not by any hand other than their own. Right, the Lamborghini, the number 63 car that I sense was maybe just losing form a little bit in the pits at the moment. And no no refueling going on. It looks so the rear suspension adjustments are about to take the whole rear wing off. Just waiting yeah, to see. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, whole ring, wing, wing section's coming off. The enormous dorsal fins sitting high and proud above the car. Engine cover, oh dear, the more bits they take off, the less excited I think they're going to be able to be. Yeah, well, perhaps the more disappointed they become as well, but uh, they do seem to know precisely which area they're wanting to attack. It does seem to be suspension-related, just checking, well, first of all, the drive shafts, it looks like, and then the suspension that surround those shafts. What did so many drivers say ahead of this race? The curbs aren't vicious, but, but they can really, really rattle the cars. Don't yep. forget, a car that's in its second season of racing will necessarily just be together a little bit better. There are more likely loose parts, not loose, but just uh, ones that aren't fully up to this sort of loading on a brand new car. And certainly the Lamborghini hypercar is precisely that. Looks mean, looks green, but unfortunately for them it looks stationary. But the good news is the bodywork is being returned. I mean, it's just that uh, the rear is hanging in the air all the time. I don't know if something is wrong. It's just that, I don't know, that's the feeling I have. Maybe nothing is broken. I have no idea. It's this car that I've spotted on 
at least two occasions though locking up into turn 10 where well a lot of the weight seems to be i mean it seems to be very stiffly sprung first of all and as the weight lurches to the right-hand side, you're getting that locking of the front left, which is flat-spotting the tyre, and then, of course, the next lap around, that flat spot will be found again because all the weight's off it, so a bit more of the Michelin tyre is chiselled away by the road surface. And I just wonder whether this is an issue they've been fighting for a lot of the race, although it was the driver, Daniel Kvyat, radioing through there to say it just doesn't feel quite right from the rear. Uh, and he's been in this car for a couple of stints now, so maybe this is a newer problem. Got the team to take all the bits off, give everything a good waggle and movement, but once there's no play in the system, the only other option is to send him back out again. Oh, that's the worst thing for a driver, isn't it? Something not feeling quite right, and he doesn't have a big um, back catalogue of experience in this car. None of them do. No. It's, the, it's the new for 2024 challenger but if it's feeling a little loose i did comment a handful of laps ago it seemed to be going just a little bit slowly down the start finish straight again not in the heat of the battle they were three laps in arrears they're now four laps down because of that pit stop but uh, as long as the lap times are still there and daniel can sort of start to put his finger on what element of not right uh, the car is experiencing then that will be a helping hand but this is a test session really for them now you know any likelihood of points in fact they were fairly slim at the start of this race but then we True. saw some of the front runners including both of the ferraris and uh, you know hit problems when i say both the ferraris i mean the works entries 50 and 51 um so you know points were the last points at the moment for 10th place in the hands of proton competition they were nowhere with their porsche harry tinknell here this weekend with young Young son Frederick enjoying his first race meeting. Well, present is his first race meeting. We don't know if he's enjoying it. But, uh, you know, we've had some cars just creep into the top order, the top ten places, and others have gone quite the other way. I think being a Tinknell, he'll automatically enjoy it, whether he knows what's going on or not. But uh, good to get them started nice and early. As now there's some investigation work going on for the rear of the number five Porsche from Penske Motorsport. Michael Christensen brings that in. That was just as the fuel was going in. So visual checks, first of all. Remains to be seen whether that car will be given a new set of tyres or maybe just on one side, which has generally been the order of the day to spread out your allocation of 32 tyres for the full 10 hours. Those were tyres that needed to be used in qualifying, though, as well. So the best scenario is that you just get through one set of tyres in quali yesterday in the 12-minute session. I don't think anybody pitted actually for a second set. So you're, you're effectively scrubbing and just working your way into one set of tyres that you then recycle at some point during the race, probably for a single stint. Battle for 11th and 12th hotting up now. Toyota do not want to be in this situation as Brendan Hartley was trying to detail to Louise Beckett earlier on. The, he was asked the question, is this all part of the game plan and are you just sort of feeling your way into this race and it will all come good towards the end in hour nine and ten? And he went, sadly not. No, this is the true reflection of where we are right now uh, with uh, an upgraded car but at a brand new track and car eight down in 12th position trying to chase Mick Schumacher in the number 36 Alpine. Well, it's a rude, rude awakening, but uh, there's never any artifice with uh, Brendan Hartley. He'll say it how it is. He won't hide anything. And in fact, didn't even need to see anything. Just the, the look at his, his countenance was sagging, I think we could say. But uh, they will plug away. They will uh, continue trying to put something on the board. But we've always said in the World Endurance Championship, you drop the ball at one round. 
you're on the back foot. You drop mm -hmm. it at the Mall where you've got to extra helpings or a multiple of points, you're really, really in trouble. He's won some championships that way, whereas the sister car, the number seven Toyota, have actually ended up with more wins and yet there are fewer points allocated because they didn't get the, the big one. But this year, it's not a case of uh, just not getting a podium. This is not getting any points at all. No. They, are, they are heading for points at the moment, but the number, the number seven car... Uh, but not yet with the number eight. But it's just down in 12th position overall. But, you know, they've got to be realistic. This is the new reality. This is 2024. This is the highest level of the hypercar class we have had yet in the World Endurance Championship. And, uh, again, it's very difficult when you're commentating to take even a nanosecond to get your eyes off the various screens that we get to enjoy. You can have too, too much information. And then if you try and look on social media, you then find a flood of people who can watch it at their leisure. These are people involved in the sports, lots of them racers, team managers. They are absolutely blown away by what they're seeing here. And one person, I can't even remember who it was, is saying, well, this is the zenith of motor racing in 2024. This is variety. This is really close racing. It's chopping and changing. Clearly different tactics. So um, the FIA, well done for holding your nerve, keeping your nerve and creating this championship. Well, it's a big weekend across both sports car racing and single-seaters. Opening round of the World Endurance Championship and the FIA Formula One World Championship. That taking place just 70-odd miles as the crow flies to the north and west of here at Bahrain, which is where this championship will finish much later on in 2024. And eight races in total to feature of varying uh, lengths both in time and distance, but also a varying uh, challenges too. There's not much elevation change around this place, but we go to Imola next, where the walls are right next to the edge of the racetrack, and that is up and down Dale throughout as well. And that's the sort of variety I love uh, in just two, the opening two races. Then you've got Spa, the great seven kilometres around the Arden Forest, followed by the Le Mans 24 hours. So here are my hopes for those races. Beautiful spring sunshine. Blossom on the trees on the infield at uh, Imola. Spa, I'll settle for, I don't know, seven different sorts of weather during the course of the race. We have had some cracking counties there, Johnny, the last handful of years, haven't we? Haven't we? And one year, I think we had every single form of weather. No yeah, icebergs in the pit lane. But the remarkable thing, the worse the conditions got, nobody had an accident. It was just, you thought, it's going to be a monster soon. But they were absolutely brilliant. Last year, of course, there was the issue about having no tyre warmers, and Ferrari in particular, notably out of the pit lane, accelerate hard, not make it to Eau Rouge, or not in one piece. So uh, I think quite a few lessons were learnt after that. Well, it, it actually resulted in the decision to bring tyre warmers quite. to the 24 hours of Le Mans. It remains to be seen what's going to happen at uh, Le Mans this year, though. I mean, the, the dream, I think, from the organisers is to keep them away from the teams and uh, put all of the, the risk the jeopardy in the hands of the driver. I mean, there's a way of not spearing off the road with cold tyres, and that's to go a little bit slower. But you try telling any racing driver to do that, and you'll be, uh, it'll be a hard task. The, 90, the 31 BMW that is fighting with the Ferrari of Thomas Floor. This is Augusto Farfus now into fourth position to jump ahead of Floor. And the Vista A, of course, of Ferrari 296. Something's telling me that the strategy's just slipped through the fingers a little bit of Team 54 because Thomas Floor, visibly exhausted after his couple of stints, needed, therefore, to top up his time. And as he's doing that, this is allowing some very quick gold and platinum drivers to overtake. There was a little bit of side-by-side -side action there, as in a touch side-to-side. -side. 
between Harry Tinknell in the number 99 Proton Porsche 963 and the sky blue Mustang of Zachary Robichon. So that means we still haven't had any drive. Oh, no, Ben Barker has been in the car, hasn't he? So we've been, they've been through all three of those pilots now. There'll be a lot more Barker to come. He's sort yeah, of uh, dipped, dipped his toe in the water as the sort of leading driver in that team. But, uh, yeah, they've... Uh in fact, to be honest, the only moment I've seen was just after Ryan Hardwick started his first stint. He had a, a little harmless spin early on, cost him a tiny bit of time. Heart of Racing team now going for a, sorry, it's a replay, going for a rotation. Back on the dark stuff. In GT3, though, let's take a look at the running order. Last time I checked, it was Heart of Racing team leading. And this time around, it's still Alex Rubras in the lead by not a lot because the Porsche is getting closer and closer. And closer still. In fact, uh, it's very busy, very, very busy indeed. What's been happening all along recently has been the ascent of the Team WRT M4 GT3s. They're up to third and fourth in class. Maxime Martin, 46 and 31. Augusto Farfus just a little bit behind that. But it's been good in GT3. Very, very good. And really interesting um, watching various teams approach it, though. Uh, you know, different different ways of cutting the cake and some have decided to keep it very very simple bronze driver in from the start get all of its their hours done and then get out silver driver in do the same and then leave the remaining hours to the sil to the platinum of the gold but that would mean a reasonable amount of time to get the car to the finish these drivers are more than capable of that though and Alex Riberas in the dark blue, typical livery of hard of racing team, continuing to lead from the number 92 Porsche. But it's, it's, just, under, it's just over half a second now. That little yeah. spin costs him about seven seconds. But anyhow, he managed to get going and uh, pointing in the right direction before he was caught by the pure racing Porsche. That in itself is in a gaggle. <laughs> As the sun goes down, everything just looks a little bit more dramatic. And that FAT Porsche, we were talking about it. Yes, we haven't gone back to the 19, early 1990s. It's the uh, Proton cars delivered, uh, liveried in that red and white livery, or white and red livery. And uh, almost every time we seem to have an onboard shot, it seems to be flashing past <laughs> a couple of GT3 cars coming into frame and departing before anyone can notice it's there. That's Harry Tinknell. He's running around three seconds down on Alex Lynn's uh, Cadillac in that battle for eighth place. Not wanting to shave off even a tenth of a second from his speed. So, Ricard Leitz, unfortunately for him, not involved in this fight, down in 16th position, but obviously showing very similar pace to those GT3 cars up ahead, actually chasing the sister car at Mantai, driven by Klaus Backler. But also in this part of the circuit is 13th placed Matteo Crisoni in the yellow Lamborghini from Iron Links with the black roof. So the Lambo crosses the line. So you've got the 15th placed, uh, the 13th placed car, I should say, followed then by the second placed Porsche. And if anything, oh, Alex Ribas has just pitted, in fact. I wonder where the Aston Martin had gone. So reaching the end of another stint, bailing out of the race lead, the Spaniard, and that will put Klaus Backler of Austria up into the lead of the race once again. Not the first time the 92 car has been there. Tiny little bit of front left corner damage, a little kiss mark on the, uh, the nose of the uh, Heart of Racing team, Aston Martin. Quite a lot of rubber debris coming out the other side as the grill was cleared, but... Uh, Still sitting pretty, but sitting in the pit lane at the moment. So step up, everyone behind. That's the eighth pit stop being undertaken. 
But then uh, those that have moved ahead, including the pure, well, the only cars moved ahead is the Manti Pure Racing Porsche. Which corner, mainly? Turn 16 is quite bad at the moment. And in the high speed, I'm struggling with the front. It sounds like through the high-speed corners, Ferdinand Habsburg in the number 35 Alpine is having a bit of understeer to dial himself around. And I'm not sure the team can do a great deal about that right at this point. However, they might be able to address that at the next pit stop. That's the first time I've really noted the uh, rear, the tail light um, design of the Alpine. It's, it's almost as if it's like the, the A of Alpine, displayed in three sections of, of day glow or uh, strip lights almost. Johnny, you're very, very cool. You're very, very good because you picked up on something John was just talking about and the team saw it and said, oh, can we make that larger and put it on our cars? There we are. There you okay. go. But uh, yeah, the, the tail lights are obviously being instructed by all the, for all the teams that they must be illuminated at this time of evening because it's 29 minutes past five. Official sunset time is at 17.37 tonight in Doha. And we're just, what, 60 k's up the road, north at the Losail, Lusail International Circuit. And very nearly six and a half hours in the books with uh, this Alpine still in contention for points. Car 36 currently running in 10th position. Let's give you a full rundown of the order in both classes. Here's the latest Hertz Hourly Update. The Hertz Hourly Update. Getting you to your Let's Go moments for over 100 years. Two hundred and nineteen laps completed for Laurence Vantor in the number six Porsche Penske Motorsport nine sixty three, leading by eighteen point four seconds. It was really interesting to see that gap come down uh, during this stint, but it's starting to go back into the favour of Porsche now as we get further towards the next pit stop required by the number ninety three Peugeot. So yeah, on average times, Laurence Vantor doing slightly better now than Nico Muller when the uh, the advantage was definitely with the Swiss for a period of time. 143.5 as an average for Laurence Vantor across his 25-lap stint. It's a tenth slower than that, again, on average, during 28 laps for the chasing Nico Muller in the 93 Peugeot. Third position, and having just made a stop, the number 12 Hertz Team Jota 963. Will Stevens uh, brought, just brought that car in. Michael Christensen is fourth in the number five Porsche 963. Then the first of the Toyota GR010 hybrids for Mike Conway. Car 7 is fifth ahead of number 83. The AF Corsa Ferrari 499P of Robert Kubica. Hertz Team Jota's second Porsche 963 is in seventh for car 38. That's Phil Hansen. Eighth place for the Cadillac V-Series R of Alex Lynn, number two. And then the best of the Alpine A424s with those very cool tail lights. Mick Schumacher, number 36, is in ninth ahead of the lead in 10th position. The second of the Toyotas, Sebastian Buemi's Toyota Gazoo Racing GR010. In LMGT3, the highest placed is up to 19th overall. The Manti Pure, Pure Racing Porsche 911 GT3R of Klaus Backler. 
He's just taken the lead because the car that was ahead of him on the road, which was Alex Riberas in the number 27 Aston Martin Vantage, came in for a scheduled pit stop. They switched to Daniel Mancinelli, and the Heart of Racing team Aston Martin has rejoined in second position. Then it's Maxime Martin making strides in the number 46 Team WRT BMW M4. So a potential podium for the Belgium squad running the Bavarian cars. Ferrari 296 in the hands of Thomas Floor. He's the only bronze certainly up in that, that vicinity of the top six for Vista A, of course, of Ferrari. And the 54 car is there in fourth position. Treble 7 is the D-Station racing car for Erwin Bastard in the Aston Martin Vantage number Treble 7. And in sixth place, it's 55 Mr. A, of course, the second car for Francois Elio. The hourly update. Hertz Rental Car. Getting you to your let's go moments for over 100 years. In four minutes' time, here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels, we will have reached exa- exactly sunset time of 17.37. So 23 minutes to six o'clock. You talked, Bruce Jones, a moment or two ago about the sun just dropping from the sky. Those uh, photographers wanting to get the key sunset shot will have to be quick about this. No shooting with a lens cap on for them. Just me. But, uh, yeah, no, wonderful light. Really, really, and again, any television images one uh, could be treated with, of course, we always say this, the cameras pick up far more light than really is, plus there's phenomenal floodlighting around the Lucerne International Circuit. It wants for nothing, but uh, it's going to change its picture almost precisely on the two-thirds mark in this 10-hour race. We're at uh, 3 hours 25 minutes remaining, and uh, give it a couple more laps, and uh, you'll get your predicted sun sunset, and we will get uh, into the final third of this race. And here we are. When we started, it did seem quite a long time ago, we had um, a front row that was... Um, with the number five Porsche on pole position, Michael Christensen started that, the time set by Matt Campbell. And uh, Toyota Gazoo, number seven, started alongside Mike Conway at the wheel. And that was started, uh, uh, was uh, its qualifying time done by Nick De Vries. But the order's been shuffled a bit. Uh, a Porsche's there, it's not that one. It's the number six sister car that's leading this race. Number five, after its early, sort of early second pit stop, put it out of kilter. That's going well with the starting driver, Michael Christensen. That's in third. But in between them, up from sixth on the grid is uh, the Peugeot, the leading, the better place, the two Peugeots. It's been in the lead of the race. It's been uh, just always at the front end of the field. It had a slight moment when it was falling away from the number six uh, Porsche. Last time I checked, it was about a dozen seconds between them, waiting for Nico Muller to complete another lap. And when the Swiss driver does it, 22 seconds in arrears now. But it is, you'd have to say, with the third of this race still to go, possibly one of the box, one of the three box seats for points coming up. What we haven't had recently is that number 12 entry from uh, Hertz Team Jota, one of their two Porsche 963s, in the top three. It was in the early stage of the race. It may yet get back there. It's five seconds down on Michael Christensen, running a different stint length because of that early second pit stop for the number five Porsche. But uh, we could yet get a privateer Porsche up into those top three positions. But, as I say, three hours and 20-something, 24 minutes remaining. Race leader from GT3 is in the Pure Racing Manti run Porsche. Klaus Backler and the car getting a much-deserved slurp of fuel. They're also going to do tyres on all four corners, it looks like. 
in the past, some GT3 uh, categories, notably, well, GTE, as it was in ELMS, used to be able to use as many tyres as you wanted. There was no limitation. Uh, the rules were never quite that lax at World Endurance Championship level, but you did used to get more tyres in GTE AM. But interestingly, for a, a Pro-Am category, you're given as many tyres uh, or as few tyres as you are in the hypercar class these days. So um, there's still quite a lot of brain work needing to be done before you get going here as to when is the most likely time you want to double stint tyres. It seems more likely to be, to be done in the cooler part of the day, though. So from this point onwards, uh, there will have been some stints where some drivers would need to have contended with uh, used tyres, certainly on one side. But then with, again, again, with a lack of tyre warmers, maybe you'd like that rather than a brand new set that was stone cold. Yeah, quite possibly, but it's all a learning process. And, of course, don't forget, uh, when the prologue was delayed by a couple of days, they, the teams might have been thinking, what happens if it's delayed by a further day? Are we going to start losing losing those sessions because it's all valuable and really there's almost never been a time where there have been so many brand new cars coming out to play hypercar gt3 being introduced as the uh, gt class so an awful lot of mileage was required don't forget of course you're spreading it across three drivers as well so uh, how much time do you get racing with just a brand new set of right hand tires or left hand tires you know you might have to just get one driver to do it produce some data and just explain it to the others when it goes like this yeah, um, but there are so there's so much new at the start of this year, and uh, even more so coming to a new venue where you're trying to glean as much data as possible will be useful in forthcoming seasons. This race meeting, I believe, is on something like a six-year contract, so likely that we'll be coming back here, presumably at the start of the year, for a few seasons yet. Right, a lovely little offering I can give to you: hypercar top three overtakers and the race leading number six Porsche has made 485 passing manoeuvres of course in multi-class racing or in two-class racing you'll get many many more but it goes to prove you've got to nail each and every one of those you cannot panic and the drivers keep on saying this circuit has surprised them in two ways one it hasn't consumed their tyres thank goodness as much as they feared it would and two You've either got to be very brave or slightly patient when it comes to overtaking here because though the corners come at them thick and fast, there aren't many heavy braking points and that's traditionally where drivers manage to make their passing manoeuvres. So 485, where are we going to get by the end of the race? Let's just wind that one out. Over 700 if they carry on at that, that, that sort of average overtake. Tell that to some drivers in some championships. Of course, yeah. you can't compare chalk and cheese, but we don't mind trying. Mike Conway couldn't afford to waste any time at all into turn 15 a lap ago because he uh, was trying to catch a fellow hypercar and got the chance to dive at the inside of a GT3 as well, which sort of shielded him from the hypercar that he was approaching. 2.5 seconds adrift is the Hertz Team Jota car. So that wasn't, the overtake wasn't for position, but again, when you're catching I hesitate to use this phrase, but the tail-enders in the hypercar class that maybe haven't had such a good race to this point, they're still very, very quick cars, but uh, you legitimately, as, the, as a car on the lead lap, need to get by in a hurry, and there will be blue flags being displayed, but you cannot afford to wait for that gap to open up. If it presents itself, even just half a gap, um, important to get up the inside and just lose as little time as possible to those cars you are trying to stick with. Mike Conway's got within seven seconds now of Michael Christensen, who runs in third position for Porsche. However, 
he owes us a pit stop we'll be coming in very soon indeed so up to fourth place as Johnny said just challenging third don't forget not long ago it was uh, fifth and sixth the early stages race dropped from second on the grid down to eight in that sort of early couple of laps uh, when we set off for 10 hours of racing or 1812 kilometers since then Conway's got that going as well as it can but uh, who's reporting at the pits Mike Conway there we go seventh, right on cue seventh pit stop for number seven drivers staying on board and uh, throughout that stint that eventually led him into the pits Norman Natto was there or thereabouts well his reward is to move up to fourth position but uh, again that might be a, a brief spell in that spot finally getting uh, after a bit of glitch for, um, I think everywhere on the, our timing systems we're getting now some meaningful stint lengths back again so I can tell you that for Mike Conway that was 32 laps for the number 7 Toyota Lawrence Van Tor is working lap 32 now so the race leader may well be in at the end of this lap Nico Muller's just made a stop and Nico Muller stayed at the wheel of the number 93 uh, Peugeot. Here comes the number six Porsche from the lead of the race. I said Lawrence Van Tor would probably be in, and indeed he is at the end of lap 100, 226. Again, there's always the question about where you would like your pit garage. Lots of people like to have the final one. I think in terms of pit stops and getting a nice clean arrival, I prefer to go for... Uh, the one at Pit Inn, and that's precisely where Porsche Penske Motorsport are. But again, in the split class of racing, hypercars against uh, GT3, they tend to pit naturally if they're running to a, a full order at uh, different times of day. And as I should say now, night. Sun has fallen. We're into the final third of this race. But for the number six Porsche crew, it's looking very, very tidy indeed. And uh, let's see if they can run through these final three and a quarter hours and uh, come away with a win. And for some of these drivers, it's been quite a while since they won at the very top level of the sport. Andre Lotter needs no further announcement. He's the most garlanded of uh, that set. Kevin Estra and Lawrence Van Tour, But they have put on a really, really strong performance so far. I mean, look at that lineup. Of course they would. Yeah, um members of that team who became established with, with other combinations actually early in their career and that was a point that Andre Lotra made uh, from the number 6 car to John Hindoff during uh, a couple of our one of the two prologue shows that went out a little earlier on in the week, Andre Lotra with um, I mean a fabulous partnership with Benoit Trellier and Marcel Fessler in Audi days but uh, Lotra now established in the Porsche camp for a good few years and joining Laurence Van Tor and Kevin Estra, who are longer servants with Porsche. But uh, Andre staying with the German market, because prior to that, he was a big star in Super GT as well, doing a lot of his racing in Asia. Yeah, you forget that uh, some drivers did pop themselves away for several years, particularly in Japan, mm. and uh, performed often it's super gt and super formula so big single seaters and those outstanding gt cars and some did it uh, not just to line their pockets and they're normally quite well paid as the incoming drivers but also they get a huge amount of track time they get every sort of weather known to man they have really fierce inter-tire battles and um it's been a formula for about well, I'd say about 40 years, because one driver who went over there as a great driver and came back even better a long, long time ago was Jeff Lees, who then did lots of racing at the Mans 
with the Japanese manufacturers. But recently, Andre Lotter is one of the main guys that's been there for quite a few seasons and has just come away an even better driver. I think, you know, some drivers are just very, very good at assimilating information. They've got the natural pace, but it's what they do with that extra information. I think Andre Lotter is very much an example of that. He's, he's a very cerebral driver. Of course, like some, he'll get quite heated occasionally, but he is just consistently on it, and he could be coming away with the top, top result. It could be victory here, but we've got five and, uh, three and a quarter hours advantage. We'll have to wait until that's uh, fully back um, up to speed after it's pit stop and see what the gap is. I reckon it would be about 25 seconds, first to second, maybe slightly more over Nick and Muller, actually. Yeah, nip and tuck, but uh, it's not even developing into a, a, as few as a three-horse race at this stage because you can certainly include the Hertz team, Jota, Porsche, only 3.2 seconds away from the, the one of the main cars, the non-customer cars that run first and third in the 963 Brigade. Into the pits comes the other Toyota now, so car number eight with Sebastian Buemi back at the wheel will pit from 10th position, so therefore we'll lose places from this point. This will be pit stop number seven for the second of the Toyotas to even it up with the sister car, and that means that the only car we're waiting for now inside the top 10 will be the Cadillac to complete its latest stop, which will be stint number eight, and uh, stop number seven, therefore, for the Cadillac. That's uh, going to be a bit of time yet. Car number two has done 26 laps, so should be able to force a further six out of it before we see Alex Lynn on pit road. Not lagging the performance. Six. Yeah, copy, mate. Copy. That was a conversation about setting, perhaps, or uh, maybe marking something out of ten in terms of how bad a... Well, it was, Kristen said it was uh, complaining about a vibration from the rear of the car earlier on in the race. I assume that's settled down now, maybe with the next set of tyres. And uh, he'll be hoping, dearly, that they don't need to put those tyres back on the car. Uh, you need to double stint, I think, less than you had to in, in previous iterations of the World Endurance Championship. So we talk about you know, only eight sets of tyres for a 10-hour race but it will be more like 11 or possibly 12 stints. So that's at least half the sets that you're given that you need to make good for two stints rather than one. A moment or two ago, the 93 Peugeot struggled to get by the 91 Porsche and, in fact, was squeezed out of it. I think uh, Nico Muller was able to get out of the throttle in the wingless Peugeot before contact was made in that Porsche, it was Richard Leitz, it still is Richard Leitz down in 16th position. Well, that is most unusual. How many drivers have done more racing laps than the Porsche 911? How many drivers have uh, learned to be in the slowest class in the field? But that case, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure that all will be happy with that incident. I don't think it's really caused anything untoward, but uh, certainly little moments like that. And even cars staying within the white lines, we could see in the first half hour of this 10-hour uh, race, Go offline, not beyond the white line of the edge of the circuit, still within the circuit, very, very dusty. Go it over the white line, and then it's anybody's guess how much grip you're going to find. So uh, certainly that would have been a, a matter of concern there. Momentum lost, but no damage done. But, you know, maybe it's also indicative. I've talked about the brilliant, brilliant floodlighting, but the light is changing and changing very fast. It could have just been an element of not identifying the headlights, not spotting it was a, a hypercar, even though it would have been closing at remarkable speed. But... Um, 
I'm sure there's a very good reason Richard Leeds isn't a driver whose career is peppered with bad moments. No, 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 they're completely the opposite. But and in this place for a long time, the low sail international circuit was renowned for the amount of power that is needed to uh, to illuminate the floodlights around here. I think pretty much all the MotoGP races through the years have been nighttime affairs. So, you know, floodlighting absolutely essential here. And I think it's only bettered now in terms of, uh, say, bettered, you know, um, more floodlighting is required at Yas Marina right now compared to this Qatar venue. But once those floodlights are cranked into life, all of a sudden your rear view mirror and the door mirrors are filled with white and I would imagine it is more difficult to pick out the headlights on a hypercar. There'll be some adjustment period, certainly. And, you know, we've only now 10 minutes after official sunset. So perhaps it was just a, a slight confusing moment. Not confusing, but, um, you know, a moment of not sure which side of the track to be on briefly to stay out of the way of the Peugeot. And Ricard Leitz was trying to go left. So was the Peugeot. And one needed to zig, the other one needed to zag and they ended up both on the same side of the track Yeah good description there but again there is plenty of width on the track but again if you go a little bit wide at certain corners you're going to find absolutely no grip whatsoever. Track temperatures will be continuing to uh, fall little by little, they've certainly been doing that as uh, the sun was falling, now the sun has fallen, expect a great deal more, let's have a little check on the weather, track temperature 27 degrees, air temperature just under 20, so that's all becoming a little bit more comfortable, maybe just making tyres last that little bit longer, which is going to be vital. Right, car number two, 10 seconds added to the next pit stop for car number two, that's uh, for contact, that's the Cadillac, for contact with car 31, which was the uh, one of the two Team WRT BMWs, I think the driver on board at the time was, refresh my memory, Augusto Farfus, I think, was given a bit of a clatter there. So, in the wars, but uh, that will drop the Cadillac a little bit further back, and at the moment that's running in fifth place overall. However, the four cars in front have done seven pit stops, the three cars behind have done seven pit stops, the car behind that has done eight because it had a drive-through penalty, but only six on the board for Cadillac Racing. They are running this different stint pattern, but you were saying, Johnny, I think John had just commented that it might get away with three more pit stops whenever that was, and we, you really felt it would be the four. Yeah. Absolutely mesmerising sky above the Low Sail International Circuit. Now, parts of it actually look like they're on fire as the sun continues to set, but uh, a very clear sky, the odd bit of cloud here and there, but the overwhelming colour scheme, red through to purple. So, some wonderful background imagery as the race continues on and just to home in on two cars that sadly would want to be in the fight more than they are but they're down in 15th and 16th and the age of tyres on first of all the 51 Ferrari which was chasing is chasing the BMW its right side tyres have done as many as 77 laps it was 46 I think for the left side Compare that to the BMW, where its right side tyres had done also 46, and the left side tyres only eight. So all sorts of different ways of using your 32 tyre allocation. It's hard, certainly on the left, for car number five, the Porsche that was just brought into the pits by Michael Christensen. I didn't see whether they were doing a driver change there as well, but uh, that will become obvious in a moment, just as soon as the five-car rejoins from pit road 
Alex Lynn is able to gain one of uh, the more crucial places back again, but only because we're waiting still for the Cadillac to make its seventh stop. And still, the Porsche hasn't yet returned to the racetrack. Well, a little bit of contact there down into oh, turn one. Sean Galeo and the red and white, the white nose on his red BMW car 31 uh, going up the inside of one of the Lexuses and um, connecting with the side of the Lexus. They're not oh, racing yes. for position. There's another lap being put on the board, and I'll give you a choice of Lexuses. Kelvin van der Linde is running in 30th place overall, and sister car 87 much, much delayed, but back on the track with Esteban Masson. I have to just see if I can identify which. You'd have to say, obviously, in terms of experience, Esteban Masson, a young French racer, has far less to play with. But again, some of this could be down to the changing lights, and it has changed so super, super fast. In the space of five, if I'm being mean, ten, if I'm being generous, minutes, uh, the sky has gone from lit and light pink, well, not really, mid-pink, now to very, very dark purple at one end, black at the other. Fabulous for the photographers. Uh, maybe just slightly confusing at the moment for the drivers. Well, that Lexus, I feel, is uh, now having to struggle for the next... Yeah, it's a bit of a squeeze, wasn't it? The number 78, a Codis ASP Lexus. No, but so, OK, so it wasn't the Masson, it was Kelvin van der Linde. So his lap pace seems sort of OK to me, but um, anyhow... Two did tangle. They weren't fighting for position either. But, Sean uh, Galeo's BMW was the other car involved, but I'm just a bit concerned about the amount of tyre smoke now coming out of the Lexus, at least initially. That can look far more dramatic than it actually is, and actually it's just bodywork fouling the tyre, and the tyre works the bodywork away relatively quickly. But if it starts to make any sort of scoring mark, then that could get very serious very quickly for Lexus 78. So Kelvin van der Linde running in 12th position. And as you say, the sector times are OK. He was about a second away from the car's best through sector two. And sector three, yeah, 1.2 down on the car's best previously. The thing is, Sean Galeo cannot afford to be losing too much time in the 31 BMW because they're, of course, embroiled in their own race. Marco Sorensen right on the tailpipes now of the mainly red, but with the white nose BMW M4 from WRT. So there's less than a, much less than a second between those two cars. Sorensen won't be able to get up the inside, though, into turn six there. And we'll have to play the patience game. At the same time, there's a... Toyota looking to stick a lap on these two cars. And the next car up the road is the Iron Dames Lamborghini Huracan, also a car that's been carrying damage for a long spell of this race. It's funny. Quiet for a while. Now very, very busy mm. out there and uh, certainly a little bit of uh, contact. I was amazed in early laps of the race. We had a couple of little clashes, but nothing much. And now it just seems, I think, the tyres are going. There's more debris on the track. There's more gravel on the track. And uh, it just seems we're having a few more close scrapes, a little bit of a rub. Oh, the Iron Dame's uh, Lamborghini just, uh, I think, was about to have a lap put on it, so it pulled slightly wide there and ran much further because it got onto the dust. That was Michelle Gatting. She wouldn't make a mistake like that uh, without a factor, but the factor was she was being very, very kind and moving to the side. She's running in 26th position overall, just made a little bit too much space, ran a little wide. And 31 BMW said, I thank you very much indeed, and died through, because it can't hang on, as you pointed out, Johnny, because it's got plenty of company tucked in behind the D-Station racing. Marco Sorensen pedalled 
Aston Martin right under the rear wing. Very, very tight indeed. Michel Gatting still weaving down the main straight, actually, as there's the move for uh, third for fourth position as Marco Sorensen is a touch later on the brakes into the first corner. He's now going to be very mindful, though, that one of the BMW hypercars wants to squeeze through into turn two. And it is chased by the 51 Ferrari. So that was Raffaele Marcello looking to get by in BMW number 15. And the 51 Ferrari of Alessandro Pierre Guidi not too far behind. But Marco Sorensen sort of lulled Sean Galeel into a false sense of security there. Thought, I'm going to stay in your wheel tracks. Don't worry, there's no overtake threat. And then boom, down the inside went Marco Sorensen. A move he pulled off so many times in GTE Pro of old. And he's doing the same thing for D-Station in the new LM GT3 category. Yeah, and I think uh, looking, considering that moment again, it was the fact that they were both aware they had a hypercar coming through, but uh, it was uh, cheeky, if hmm. anything, for the D-Station racing Aston Martin driver to go, you know what, actually, while you're distracted, I'm going to break as late as I possibly can. But, you know, that's Marco Sorensen through and through. No wonder he's been so popular driving those day train Aston Martins et al. over the years. But, uh, yeah, grabbed the moment with both hands. Really, really good performance. And, in fact, having got clear now of the uh, white-nosed red BMW of Sean Galeo, Marco Sorensen is uh, at full gallop, making his uh, excuses and breaking away. The Pure Racing Porsches tucked in behind as well in that little group of cars. It's actually nearly a lap ahead, though. Joel Stern back in for his second stint. But all along, they're looking for those prototypes coming through. And the one that's coming past them is the more delayed of the two works Ferraris. It's car number 50, which is now in the hands of Miguel Molina, the driver who started, who picked up that uh, early penalty. And uh, he is up into ninth overall and lapping at a very, very impressive pace at this stage. He should have seven pit stops of course he's got the extra one for that drive-through penalty but uh, effectively seven pit stops in the top 10 expect that one to keep climbing he's got three hours to do so be interesting to compare the average speed actually of Joel Sturm versus Daniel Mancinelli Mancinelli's been in the car the 27 Aston for four more laps than the German but uh, and actually the average lap times would favour Sturm having done his 11 laps so far. So that gap potentially going to keep opening out. It's up to 7.8 seconds through the last split, separating Porsche number 92 for Manti Pure Racing and the Aston Martin of the Heart of Racing team. Valentino Rossi back into the BMW for Team WRT, running in third position, but he's a minute and a half further back. So more difficult for the Italian ex-motorcycle rider, a champion, and uh, did John say four-time winner around this particular venue as well. Uh, a MotoGP has been held since late 2004, and I think an ever-present on the calendar, including this year. In fact, next weekend, Sunday race for MotoGP on the 10th of March. I said it earlier in this broadcast, it's extraordinary. You've got uh, MotoGP coming here a week after the World Endurance Championship and this weekend we've also got the FIA Formula One World Championship just across the water in, in Bahrain at the, at the Sakir International Circuit not so long ago delayed by two weeks again because of problems in the Red Sea of course we had the Dubai 24 hours and in between Three. before that there was a historic festival at Dubai following week uh, we've had loads of uh, regional championships competing all around here so it's suddenly you know, between the months of December and March this is super busy then you know what 
the tarmac melts, there's no point being here. It would be too hot to race. But uh, the, the scenery, and particularly looking at the infrastructure here at Lucelle International Circuit, is just getting better and better. There'll also be a Grand Prix, a Formula One Grand Prix at this venue, the Lucille International Circuit, at the start of December. Sprint race on the Saturday, full Grand Prix on the Sunday, so uh, followed by Abu Dhabi. So, yeah, it, if you're going to hold a race in this part of the world, it needs to be January, February, March, and if you've missed that window, got to wait till November or December when it cools down again. Yeah, but the important thing is uh, this year, I think it's a... The, the, the Qatar Grand Prix is a couple of weeks later than last year, which makes it about five weeks beyond Christmas. I exaggerate for emphasis, but uh, hopefully it'll just be a few degrees colder, cooler. Do you remember how many of the drivers got out after the Grand Prix and some were even, one was even sick in his helmet during the Grand Prix? They were finding the G-loading G through uh, turns uh, 12, 13 and 14, those three consecutive right-handers of, again, 72, 72, 72 degrees. That really sort of uh, did something to them. The loading they were having, and it was not a comfortable experience. Combine it with the heat, and it really did lead to a bit of a problem. Our drivers, however, seem to be um, enjoying maybe slightly cooler weather, but maybe also just a very different sort of car, not putting them through quite as much G-force loading. Action-packed for sixth and seventh positions, though, as Mike Conway and Matt Campbell cross the line door handle to door handle, and the Toyota loses out there dropping to no a big part, uh, yes it does thought so i thought i'd read that correctly the porsche got ahead of the toyota it's just that uh, some of our timing screens took a bit of time to catch up so mc ahead of mc and it's the 963 then with the advantage now up to sixth place a bit of matt Campbell will be a bit frustrated with this though after his dominance yesterday he's already won the rolex 24 in january the bathurst 12 hours the very next month and would like to get a victory nice and early in March as well. But at the moment, the five car, for whatever reason, not doing quite as well as the sister number six that leads the race. Yeah, you just simply never can tell. I'm still remembering the fact that number five, uh, Porsche, had a clatter very early in the opening stint of the race. And I just wonder, you know, there hasn't been any, well, not that we've been shown any, any visual uh, bodywork damage, but I just wonder if it's it's just slightly out of kilter. But that said, when Matt Campbell did his first into the race, taking over from Michael uh, Christensen, he, he just banged in the fastest lap of the race. Still, I think the only person to lap below one minute forty, one minute thirty nine point seven four eight seconds. So it clearly worked for him. But it'd be really interesting in, in uh, to get any post race notes from uh, the Porsche Penske Motorsport crew to find out really explain how it's ended up where it has. Certainly out of kilter with the others. It should rise up because they will go for pit stops or is it the other way around? No, in fact, I think Matt Campbell will us another pit stop next. He's already had a... No, no, they'll be the next ones in. So he will close that gap, should rise from sixth by a few places. Will he get back to third position? I think, you know what? He might well do. Remember we talked about the 87 Lexus being involved in a collision between the BMW, Esteban, Esteban Masson, the 19-year-old Frenchman driving car 87. Well, not for that reason, the contact at turn one, but for the constant abuse of track limits, there'll be 30 seconds added. No, it's a 30-second stop-and-go penalty, I beg your pardon, for car 87. So can't be bolted on to the next pit stop. It'll have to come in specifically to serve that in the 87 Lexus. We are inside the final 100 laps, by the way. 239 currently being turned and for race leader Laurence Vantor the target of 335 therefore is still within his grasp and we have 
at least three cars remaining on the lead lap. There is a further minute and 30 seconds between Norman Natto in the third place, Porsche from Hertz Team Jota and the AF Corsa Ferrari. So the top two have crossed the line at the end of lap 238, which will mean there are now 97 laps still to go, assuming we can reach this target. And the gap between Porsche and Peugeot has opened up significantly from earlier on in the stint, back up to nearly 40 seconds now, and that is testament to Laurence Vantor's speed. I'm just uh, taking a look at the, the, the lap pace at the moment of the two works Ferraris in the hypercar class. Car number 50 in the hands of Miguel Moliner, who started that and uh, led the race off that brilliant manoeuvre around the outside in the first corner. One minute 43 point, just under one minute 44 seconds. A sister car down in 60, D'Alessandro Pierguidi, one minute 44.9, not achieving the pace of the sister car. But remember, that was the car, car number 51, that shed its, uh, the final sector of its bodywork, including the rear wing, after a little bit of side-on-side -side contact. And uh, certainly lost at least a couple of laps in the pits, but at the moment is now four laps down. Probably going on to three laps down. Yes, it is now. So it's about two and a half laps down to three laps down on the race leader. Not where you'd expect it to be. Don't forget, of course, Alessandro Piaghidi drank the champagne at uh, Le Mans last year. And here he is, just uh, nine months on. He's not drinking champagne, not today, not when you're running 16th and uh, penultimate position. Sorry, two cars behind him in class. Started with 19. We've got 18 still going without the Asotto Fraschini, which is uh, retired. But uh, this is not the dream ticket that Alessandro Piaghidi thought he'd been heading towards uh, this year in the number 51. Things could all turn around completely it will probably be a cooler but definitely narrower track at Imola, but uh, it's not what he wants uh, heading to one of Ferrari's uh, home races in Italy. Um, we can add another retirement. Not sure we mentioned this, but uh, Isotta Fraschini, a long-time uh, retirement. But uh, unfortunately for TF Sport, the 81 Corvette is now officially out of the race as well. Charlie Eastwood was the last to drive that. There were two other cars being looked at in pit road, but the 91 Porsche did eventually rejoin and is being piloted by Mar uh, Morris Schuring in his 911 GT3R, the second of the Manti entered uh, German cars. And the Acodis ASP team with their Lexus Esteban Masson has probably just served his 30-second stop-and-go penalty because the 87 car is returning to the racetrack. That is the last surviving car, but of 37 entries after what is, uh, has been a punishing race to this point, to still have 35 circulating is really testament to the, the way these cars are built these days because th there's been no let-up in the pace, but year-on-year, year, cars are built, you know, that more, much more reliable, that much more able to, to be abused through the course of a long race like this. And uh, we've only lost two of them. Mightily impressive. You know, I, I think the thing is, wind the clock back a distance, let's say three decades. The cars were great, but they still were, had mechanical reliability issues. These days, far less of that, far fewer moments where a car is uh, parked up with something. Multiply that by another benefit. These cars are also a whole lot safer. Building in mm -hmm. a reliability, you know, sort of mechanical strength as well as safety issues and improving those it's it's definitely going the right way but look here the colors the shapes out on the grid at the start of the race really exciting heading into 2024 and they just haven't disappointed us but you're quite right started with 37 down to 35 that's not bad bear in mind a lot of our races are, are you know the shortest races are six hours we've done more than seven hours 
And the, the latest car retired. I think the Assotto Fraschini pretty much retired at the six-hour point. So had it been a six-hour race, they'd have kept it going just to get to the chequered flag. So we could have had a clean bill of health. Coulds, ifs, buts. But, you know, one has to look at it. The cars are getting stronger. And also, endurance racing, for many, many decades, was about nursing a car around a track. And now, every, don't, I'm not going to say every lap's a qualifying lap. It's all about saving your tyres. But it is flat-out racing. Just what we want. And also here today, it's been just the two, two, two uh, safety car period, uh, not safety car periods, uh, caution period so far. So that is testament too. But also the very nature of this track, Johnny, where there's all the space. If someone does have a moment, they can run off, go through the gravel, not even maybe reach the gravel, just use the runoff area and then rejoin the circuit. But uh, it's close, it's tight, but it is starting to open up uh, to the benefit of the number six Porsche crew from Porsche Penske Motorsport, Lawrence Van Tour leading the race at the moment by 43 seconds from the 93 Peugeot uh, 9x8 and third place Hertzim Jota at the moment Norman Nato holding down that position so one works Porsche one privateer Porsche and between them on the provisional podium with three hours remaining is of course a Peugeot which would be the top result for Peugeot for a long time and certainly the greatest thus far a season and a half into their second iteration Averaging about 34 laps per hour at this stage. If we got to 238 at about the seven-hour mark, it might have been just less than that. But we're still on course, therefore, to get to the 335 if we can stay green. And even maybe one more short spell of full-course yellow, we'd still get there. I take your point about Isotto Fraschini. They only completed 157 laps, but of course the car wasn't running for all of the six hours. So... It probably was not very far away from that six-hour marker when it was eventually officially retired. Unfortunately for the 81 TF Sport Corvette, the, the warning signs were there for that car too. Gear shifter issues first manifesting themselves when Rui Andrade had his spin at turn one. And that did seem to be a spin all on his own as he was changing down through the gears. And then the car coming to a halt as uh, he tried to come into the pits at the end of the very next lap. Nico Muller in the number 93 Peugeot 9x8. 42 seconds away from the race leader. And with uh, fresher tyres on the left side again for the Hertz Team Jota Porsches of, uh, well, of Jensen Button and then the Penske Motorsport car of Matt Campbell. That's why the newer rubber is being kept for the left side tyres, being a clockwise and very much a clockwise circuit, as in there are an awful lot of key right-handers around this place. The left-handers, the exception of turn 15, are generally fairly low speed, actually. They're heavy braking areas and then turn left. 15 is a, just a, a breath off the throttle before gliding your way through there and then hustling the car to the left-hand side through 16. Think of the glories of a flat-spotted front left around a circuit like this. That would be just yeah. hideous. and just It'd be really interesting to get a, a full brief from Michael Christensen, who said in his second stint, he did the first and second stint, he had to bring it to an early conclusion because he was start struggling to see the vibration was so bad. Was it a flat spot? Was it something else? That car just has never been... Quite, it has been in the mix, but it's just fallen down the order a little bit. It's down in sixth place, the number five Porsche. It will rise up as those behind it on a different uh, sort of pitting strategy make their pit stops. But I'd be really intrigued to find out what it was that made it so uncomfortable. But the drivers said from the moment they went out on this track, it, it, 
the start of the prologue. Oh, my word, yes, uh, we've done a lot of simulation. But what we have found on arrival here is you don't want to go on the kerbs. We understand how to get around the 16 corners. We're delighted to find there's a lot more grip than we expected, or more to the point, actually, not so much the grip. It's the fact that our tyres are, are really not uh, going away at the rate we thought we would. You know, you come to a very hot environment with lots of... Uh, Lots of turns, and you do expect that your tyres are going to take a beating. And they also knew, of course, they had just eight sets of tyres to play with, uh, fewer than they've had before. But uh, it, it was the kerbs that I think has surprised them the most. And certainly afterwards, I think quite a few people are going to own up to the fact that uh, I did actually go over the kerbs. I forgot to tell you as a team, but uh, it has certainly taken the edge off. And don't forget, this isn't a six-hour race. This is a race that's going to be 10 hours. So if you start clattering the car over the kerbs, You've got a lot more time to carry a car that's uh, shaking and rattling and rolling in a way that you did not want it to do. But uh, as we've seen here, there have been many a moment where someone's had to go over the curbs in avoidance of uh, yes. somebody else having a moment inside them. And don't forget, right from the opening corner of the opening lap of this 10-hour race, we had people going wide. And Paul, poor Paul DiResta wasn't just going wide. He was uh, pitched off into a spin uh, by the number two Cadillac Racing entry and uh, had to pit very soon thereafter. And that put it completely out of the reckoning and uh, really unfortunate for them. But since then, at least Peugeot can go, hey, but one of our cars is doing quite well. Not just quite well, really well. Up in second place overall, has led the race. Nico Muller putting it out there for people that like their cars without rear wings. Maybe it'll catch on. Maybe this will be, we said before the race, it could be the last race at which they do not have a rear wing. Who knows? Well, John DeGeese of Sportscar 365 perhaps suggesting that this would be the final race, but I don't think even he had got the conclusive answer from Peugeot. It sounds like they're still deciding upon that. They'll want lots of downforce at Imola, but they'll want to strip that away again for Spa and the 24 hours of Le Mans. So maybe the six hours of Imola is just one to live with with the older-shaped car and keep that uh, downforce to a minimum. There's lots of ground effect uh, downforce, of course, though, utilised on that car. That's why they've done OK to this point. It was a very tricky start for the Peugeot, but not to do with its aerodynamic design, more to do with it just moving forwards at pace, and it struggled to do that on several occasions. Both cars, I remember, stopping during its debut at the Six Hours of Monza in 2022, and it had a difficult end to that year really only Le Mans last year when it started they started to get the rewards that they deserved uh, so there's an awful lot of brake smoke now from the number 51 Ferrari which has come into pit road as uh, the car lets off steam and smoke from that but mainly the front left corner which has been taking a, puni a punishment from the, the aero of course there and uh, it might be as well that the, the car's um, brake wear is not particularly balanced either because the car's always wanting to go straight on at so many of these right-handers. You know, we're so accustomed to seeing the sort of regular haunts of the World Endurance Championship. So this, it had this opening round been at one of those, the teams would have felt a lot more confident. They had a lot to learn with this circuit. But looking ahead, we're going to Imola. You're accustomed over the Euro seasons of the European Le Mans series of seeing the fastest cars being the P2 cars. This yeah, is yeah. raising the ante somewhat on a track that isn't exactly, as we say, capacious in terms of uh, amount of track space. Maximum number of cars they can have there is 37, which is why the World Endurance Championship is set at that level uh, for the regular rounds, not, of course, for the Le Mans 24 hours, where we'll go closer to 60. Um, but it's going to be very, very, very busy there. It's going to be absolutely spectacular. Is the racing going to be as good as it is here? I think it might be rather... Um, rather stymied by what it has, but it's such a brilliant setting. I have no problem with not every track providing loads of overtaking 
uh, points. It's all about racing. You've just got to find where it is and when you can get hold of it. Well, the championship, as in the WEC, has been to Monza on three separate occasions. The desired location in Italy was to be Monza in 2024, but there's some upgrade work taking place there, and uh, they couldn't find a, a suitable date. So the Autodroma Enzo Idino Ferrari has held an ILMC race previously. I certainly remember LMP1s pounding around there in the past, Audis. Yeah, fewer of them, though, it must be said. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so you introduced 19 hypercars around that Parkland circuit. Um, I mean, it's going to be superb to witness, and then all the GT3 traffic as well. And then the crucial thing is trying to get the hypercars past the GT3s after, what, three or four laps when you start to catch the tail-enders? Also, with the very nature of the corners there, you've got some other corners, some corners we don't really have here with a big, heavy stop, which uh, could make things quite interesting into, into the chicanes. Uh, I'm just trying to think what other Italian tracks would suit it well. Mugello would be fabulous. Enna Pagusa, that would scare me. Um, where else could we have? Misano, a little too tight and twisty. I feel it'd be fine for the GT3 runners. But yeah, Enna Pagusa. Go stay in a hilltop town on Sicily. Why not? But Mugello would be fabulous. It was only a few years ago when the 24H series went there for a round in the Creventic Championship. Now, two cars, one from each class, ah. hit the gravel trap that's on the racetrack that I've been talking about for many an hour now. And finally, it has bitten. That was the Ferrari 296 from Vista AF Corsa and a BMW from the hypercar class. They whipped by so fast and towards the scenery. I wasn't actually able to work out which of the two that we have of those cars. Might be able to work well, it out from the from the sector times. Well, the 36 Alpine went off. We caught that just oh, after it, it came, yeah, came off. Sorry, limping, not a BMW. Limping back, and that was a, a big save. Because you know when you go to a gravel trap, you want to be near the edge. Not the bit where you hit the wall beyond it, but uh, not the bit where it's deep. That was a, a massive recovery uh, from the driver of 36. Mick Schumacher, welcome to the Modern Endurance Championship. No ruffians here, you know. <laughs> Cost him 10 seconds through that middle sector. Let's try and work out which of the two Vista A, of course, the Ferraris it was. More likely to be Francesco Castellacci. Took five seconds more to get through. Question offered to Mick Schumacher there from his engineer at Alpine. All is OK? <laughs> yes, I think so, as he gathers his breath again. <laughs> That no one told me the World Championship was like this. It, it certainly have caught his attention because that was one of the rare moments where a car could have hit something very solid indeed. A tyre wall fairly way away off the track, but it was entirely the gravel there that got him at that angle. And you try and put a bit more steering input in and the car responds not at all and starts skating right towards the tyre wall well over to driver's left. Thankfully, he avoided that and we stay green. Now here's a little consideration. I've never really thought about this before. When you're spending hour after hour doing lap after lap on a simulator, does it ever simulate what it's like if you pitch a car off the circuit and go through a gravel, gravel trap? Good question. Might be something for the future developments, as if there aren't enough developments going on. But, of course, how deep is gravel in a gravel trap? Well, yeah. I remember one time, a long, long, long time ago, where at certain British circuits they decided to experiment with raking them into a series of ridges. Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Tended to launch the car rather than slow it. Right, this is Seb Buemi. The car is shaking like a kangaroo. I don't understand why you cannot find the solution. It's shaking like hell. Copy, Seb. The guys are going to have a look. 15 to go, mate. 15 to go. You're doing well. Very well. 
Well, there was the quote of the year already. Only round one, haven't even finished. The car is shifting around like a kangaroo. Why can you not sort it, said Buemi, not holding back. But uh, he's been there, he's seen it, he's done it, he's won it. And he's not going to win it in the car as it is in this form this year. His car, the number eight uh, Toyota, is not as well placed as this. The car is down in 10th place. Seb, come on, there's a point in the offing. But the sister car only in 7th. So Mike Conway doing his best, like Seb Buemi is. But they said from the outset, really... You know, Seb didn't even get into the hypercar shootout. It was only 11th quickest. So, you know, clearly something with a setup, balance performance just not suiting them. And in those moments, it's the job of the engineer who's on the other end of the radio to try and just calm the situation up. Sebastian Buemi is known for being one of the more animated drivers, I think it's fair to say, and making his thoughts felt if uh, something is bugging him. But you need to just get them back in the groove, say, listen, all is well on the timing screen. You're still able to tick, stick with the pace, and you've only got 15 laps to go on this stint. I mean, the fact that that's actually half a stint is the forgotten point, but they may well look to try and address that during the next pit stop. But, you know, how much can you do when you're trying to keep the car out of the pits for as much as possible? The fuel's got to go in. They might choose to change tyres on all four corners, but then beyond that, it'll get into the realms of Lamborghini taking bits off the, the off the car and trying to work out where this play is coming from. Look, just just a thought there, Johnny. If somebody is saying on a track as smooth as New Zealand International, the car is shifting around like a, like a, a kangaroo, what's it going to be like at Imola? That's not famously a track that doesn't have bumps. No, true. So. <laughs> Maybe the problem's even greater than the one would otherwise feel. Certainly Sebastian Buemi not too impressed at this stage. But he's got he's got 15 laps to manage. His, his race engineer's got 15 laps to come up with a solution. I think I know who's got the harder job there. Yeah, very good point. Maybe just a question of uh, getting Buemi out of the car, potentially, at the end of this stint. I'm not sure whether this is uh, the second part of a double or the first. Let's just have a moment to look back. Buemi, yeah... It, did do the stint prior to this and it was Rio Hirakawa before that so they are generally doing doubles he's on lap 20 of what should be a 32 lap stint how do you like your Porsches battling that's the answer works against Privateer or in this case Privateer ahead of works runner fifth and sixth places overall I just noticed Matt Campbell has been uh, catching Jensen Button bit by bit but at the moment in fifth place is the privateer entry hurts Team Joe's they've got one in third place that's the sister car car number 12 Norman Nato holding down the final provisional podium position but again it's great to see Porsche running a works car and privateer cars being run as well at the same sort of pace at this stage in the race first round of the championship and first year in which uh, Joto is running two cars under the Hertz Team Joto entry and enjoying it all. This is why Jensen Button will never retire. He'll f keep on finding forms of racing he's liked. He's already said he plans to do this for several years. And, you know, I think after all that high-pressure uh, racing he did in Formula 1, and then, of course, he's had a go at NASCAR. He's tried this, yeah. he's done that. You think about people who keep wanting to do other stuff. Who's the other fellow? Oh, yeah, Jacques Villeneuve. You know, That's him. Kimi Raikkonen when he stepped down for, for a sabbatical or, or so. I think all true racers just need to keep on racing. If they don't want to race at the top level and feel maybe they're just off a little bit, you know, you can't be off very much and not be competitive in this. You know, you've got to be right on your toes, and Jensen loves that challenge. Jensen has driven previously with the BRO1 in the SMP Racing Entry 2. That was back in LMP1 days. So returning to the World Endurance Championship, he thoroughly enjoyed Le Mans, though, last year. And the fact that that car was, you know, immediately the fan favourite 
Um, well, and it was so different as well. Every single pit stop done NASCAR style. Yeah, I was just going to say, we need to explain for those who worked with us last year, Chevrolet Camaro American style in every single way. And it had its own legion of fans. And in terms of adding yet more popularity to, you know, the race that was celebrating its uh, centenary event, 100 years of Le Mans 24 hours. It was a great year to be there, but certainly in terms of the, the spotlight uh, or the limelight uh, around the event, uh, that Garage 56 entry, the, the Chevrolet Camaro, got loads of airtime. And why not? Really good dicing now between a customer Porsche and a car from the factory. In effect, with Hertzstein Jota and Porsche Penske Motorsport absolutely nose to tail, but it is the custom car, customer car outpacing Matty Campbell for the time being. Jensen Button keeping those elbows out as they both scythe their way through LMGT3 traffic. To the left, they went of the Iron Dames Lamborghini. To the right of one of the Acodis ASP Lexus. So Thread uh, is absolutely the definition of uh, what they were doing there through the slower, very much in inverted commas, uh, traffic towards the rear of the field. As uh, the top speed, interestingly, through the traps in hypercar for the, from the 93 Peugeot and the Proton Competition Ford Mustang, the fastest through the speed trap for Zachary Robichon. So the Mustang, despite its difficulties through the course of the day, is a very quick car down the tubes. Perhaps you would expect nothing less from the classic American muscle car. Yeah, and it set that uh, that straight line speed time in the first stint of the race. So there was traffic as well, but uh, clearly very, very street sweet in a straight line. And again, it's that close your eyes and listen to the music when it comes past. It really is so, so sonorous. All right. One of the Hertz team Jota cars diving into the pit lane, just trying to identify which. It's car number 12, a car from third place overall. Finally, my timing screen might catch up. Norman Nato bringing that in. Driver change being affected at the moment neat tidy and uh, it should be will stevens i think getting in callum Ilot, i think will be going in towards the end of the race they've rotated they were one of the they were the first cars in the hypercar class to uh, go through all three drivers they did single stint single stint single single stint at the start of the race and it's uh, stood them well potentially in pretty good nick they're running third and fifth at the moment they've almost always been in the top six since they uh, made progress in the early laps of the race when they started uh, third that was the number 12 and the sister car started in ninth position which was a uh, car 38 started by Phil Hansen so here's the pit stop for the third placed Hertz team Jota Porsche Norman Nato I didn't see him get out but the pattern of play with this car is that they've been just doing single stint so Bruce gives me the thumbs up that Nato did step out of the car no it's coffee with one milk please oh sorry yeah. i always get those symbols mixed up will stevens back in again now does that actually go with the usual rotation they had callum islet didn't they after norman natto earlier on in the race so islet might be being held back for a later stint we're not well we're in the phase now where you're going to be back timing to the final portion because in another three minutes time they'll be a mere two and a half minutes still to go on the clock and at this stage the race distance we will reach before that here's radio for Matt Campbell he pushed me straight off says Matt Campbell referring to Jensen Button in the number 38 car so no love lost between these two Porsche outfits it's fair to say Clearly, that was a moment where Matt thought he was in a good position to get by the British driver up ahead. 
the team from Kent, Jota, but uh, Jensen wasn't having one bit of it. No, but again, there is all that runoff area beyond the circuit. So well, Matt too. didn't even, I'm not saying because there is, you should push someone there, but Matt didn't even have to lift. He just, oh, well, maybe very slightly, went over the over the curbing, over the blue paint and came back on. Will Stevens, by the way, was the driver that got uh, on board uh, that Hertz Team Jota number 12. That's back in fifth place. The sister car with Jensen Button has rotated it round and is up to third, but that will then change when it comes to a pit stop and expect number 12, which has been the predominant Hertz Team Jota entry all weekend to go back ahead proper night racing now we had yeah. that uh, that fade from day very quickly into evening into night and now it feels like another race that's the glory of uh, endurance racing particularly when you get day into night into day i prefer that than <laughs> i prefer actually day into night because you know you might get some sleep night into day means you didn't have any sleep all night some drivers don't even look as if they've had enough sleep now and that's a uh, Robert Kubitzer, but he's always like that. He's, it always reminds me of a sort of bear coming out of hibernation. <laughs> Except he gets in the car and then blows the doors off it, you know. So looks can be a little, little confusing at times, but he's just so laid back, he Robert is. Kubitzer. He's just absolutely fantastic. And, and the yellow Ferrari 499P, the one that's not run by the works team, it's the privateer entry, is uh, the best place of their cars. Has been for a lot of this race. And don't forget, that was a car that was brought in with front and rear damage. And uh, yet it's been running really, really well. Robert brought that in. Uh, it's uh, just come out of the pits. Driver change, obviously. Still listed as Robert Kubitzer. It's listed in eighth place. But they're rattling through their stops. That was probably pit stop number eight, I would think, having been completed. Waiting for that to come up. Yes, it is indeed. Yeah, I was getting the impression that uh, Kubitzer was almost drifting off there during <laughs> one of the meetings in the debrief there. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure he was fully focused. Has Matty Campbell finally got ahead of Jensen Button? Yes, it looks like he has. Well, he's now running in third position. Um, so, yes, now ahead of Button. And there's uh, been some place shifts around as well, around uh, that, that particular scrap. But Campbell was complaining that he was getting pushed off the track not too long ago. That was a much better opportunity of squeezing through. And he did it into turn 15, in fact. So a couple of moments ago, oh, and gave Jensen a little bit of a barge for his money as well, just to make sure that he knew he was there. So Jensen Button ending up out in, the, I was going to say, in the weeds. Not quite the case. Let's hear from Robert Kubica then, fresh from his stint. So the fastest of the Ferrari hypercars out there at the moment. Yeah. Uh, until now has been a quite good race for us. It didn't start uh, nicely before uh, the race. We had uh, some issues on the car. So we had to go uh, to the grid, solve the issue. Then the first uh, stint was quite chaotic. The, the tires were very cold. The car was all cold. But yeah, we managed well. Uh, we did have some uh, couple of contacts. Uh, so we have to change the real tail. Uh, so yeah, it, it's... It's happening a lot of things, but we are, uh, let's say, rolling uh, quite nicely. So let's see. All right. Thank you.